This is going to be the newest episode of Summoning Insight. Or as I could say, hello, Monty. Let's discuss <laughs> fresh things in general. League of Legends, esports, rants, things that annoy me, but also food and ingredient making kits and ways to cook and learn how to not be a nerd all your whole life. Indeed. That's right. That's right. And helping us with that is, of course, HelloFresh. They're back again. Thank you very much, HelloFresh. And we actually have a new code this week for you guys that does new things. Uh, so you definitely want to listen to this. And especially if you're American, uh, the holidays are, are coming up, especially Thanksgiving and you know Christmas for everybody in the West. But if you guys want to de-stress a little bit, maybe not worry about so much of the menu during holidays, it's a great time to sign up for HelloFresh because they deliver everything you need to cook. And they... Also have 15-minute meals so you can get an actual fresh meal instead of going out or, you know, eating some junk or anything like that. Get it delivered to your house. It's quick and easy to make and will taste better and be better for you. I promise that. They even have uh, charcuterie boards and stuff if you guys are entertaining for the holidays that you can tag on uh, with your meals. So they have a marketplace where you can add a variety of, of stuff like that. But there's also a new promotion for us. And you go to HelloFresh.com slash LFN free and use code LFN free for free breakfast for life. So they have got breakfast now. One breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash LFN free with code LFN free. And yeah, pretty great. You get what every box you get will have a free breakfast item in it. So very good value if you guys go ahead and sign up right now. And you guys know that I have loved having this subscription service in the past. I do miss it dearly now that I am unfortunately unable to get it in Korea. But once I get back to the States, I'll be right back on that train. So we've been really enjoying having them as a sponsor. Thank you very much. Get your free breakfast for life. LFN free. There you go. Uh, and speaking of uh, teams that were free. Right. We had it may not be LFN free, but it was certainly LNG free uh, for T1 this week uh, in the quarterfinals. <laughs> you know, you know, Thorin, we had another Reddit thread about the Dade Award where the Reddit plebs once oh, again think what? they can give away the Dade Award. I'm already about to go fucking mental here. Please <laughs> tell me they didn't say Scout is the Dade Award winner. Did they say some, that by any chance? Some people did. Some people did. Right. Do you know why that's garbage? Because he played great at the Swiss system, you fucking morons. He it doesn't play. even make sense. It will never make sense. Like, that's why you don't give the Dade Award out, because you don't even know what the fucking award is. You still think the Dade Award, you still think it means the player who played the worst in, like, a specific game. It never meant that. It always was about your team being hyped. So here's the thing. You write all that. Scout does meet the initial condition. He was incredibly hyped, right? Some people said best player in the world. He was obviously the MVP of the best in the world. That's all great. But the problem is the Swiss system was like half of his tournament and he was just fine there, if not good. And he definitely had some big games there. So mm. the funny thing about this is, Monty, I did want to have this topic with you, but I actually think, like, first of all, I don't think it's as obvious this year. And for me, if I have to pick someone, Monty, I'm going keen from Katie Rolster. This is a person <laughs> who was called the best top player in the world. He was voted literally all L LCK summer first team. And I thought he was quite bad in the whole tournament. I thought even in that, like, dodge 
Magia Swiss run they had. He had some fucking screamers, mate. So to me, if anyone, I'd, I'd say Keane does it. But then the joke there is, because none of your buddy watch LCK, you didn't hype Keane. So actually, it's just us who can give him that award. Like, what do you think? Because the other one's obviously Tarzan. But then again, I, did anyone really say he was the best? You know what I mean? I think a lot of people anticipate the joke. That's what I mean. There's not that many people really even get through the first, like, initial conditions. So, to me, I, I don't know who else it could be. If it's not Keane, it's no one this time, right? Uh, I think so. I think there's a couple arguments to be made. I would argue that it is, in fact, nobody because all of the players we're talking about actually did make it through the Swiss system. Typically, in the past, we've given it to players who crash out in groups, right? Oh. If you make the bracket, you can't have sucked that badly, right? And even then, there were a lot of other top laners that were in contention with Keen. Like, so coming into Worlds, just to refresh kind of where Keen was, we had seen an excellent performance from Zika in the top lane. Uh, you know, he had a big glow up uh, during the LPL playoffs where he played extremely well for LNG. Uh, obviously, we know how Bin performs internationally, so there were expectations there. And 369 has had an, an insane year. And Keen was among those players, and I think most player people would have put Keen within their top, you know, 20, 15 players, depending on where you had him on your list. I would have had him higher. Uh, and Tarzan probably, I think most people believed, was you know, third, fourth best jungler coming into Worlds. Most people said Kanavi and Peanut were the top two. I didn't see really anybody put Tarzan above either of those two, and I, I certainly wouldn't have. But there is a, I have to say, Tarzan's crash out was just so spectacularly terrible that, you know, but it also happened in the, in the bracket stage. Like, he wasn't great in the Swiss stage, and indeed, his last performance on on Jarvin was like really underwhelming in the Swiss stage, but he also did make it out. Right. And so for me, it's hard to give anybody the Dade award when they clear the the bar of becoming a top eight team in the world. What do you think? I mean, the real problem we have is like, obviously the only LPL LCK team not to make it was D plus and nobody had their players as the best in the world. Like they didn't no. meet the initial conditions. To, and then the other one, obviously the only other team that's even in contention would be G2. And again, no one really said these players were the best. Like, I don't know anyone, like you might say people like raved about Hans Sama because they always do what he's good. No one had him on the level of like fucking ruler and gala and these players no one was even pretending that so even if he underperformed like first of all he didn't play like shit through the whole swiss did he he obviously had some very good games and then on top of that like i say i don't think they'd be so actually to me it was there was only a small handful of people even could have qualified for this one and i don't think they made it in the end i mean the real joke is even bloody Kane actually was doing well in the very last game of the tournament like the jacks game actually he had a chance in that one so no by the way i will say though if you notice one interesting trend though monty because i have a different perspective than everyone else it seems in esports about crowds which is it's funny because i originally came up with this by talking to lopez because he agrees we don't believe that crowds actually help you as in people say that as like a universal rule as though like it's like magic the <laughs> gathering monster you play like the you know the fucking crowd effect and that gives it you know plus four to all all creatures in play or whatever the fuck it is right it's not like that to me it's like it depends on the person and depends on the circumstances like for example sometimes if you're an underdog team the crowd actually can pump you up too much and you'll go for all the 
ridiculous players. You throw yep. the whole fucking game. Like you, you might have just played normally. Also, and I'm, this is how I'm going to tie it in here. The crowd can obviously hurt you too. Like you know the famous concept that people have in sports. So like if you're a really good player on the road, your whole shit is getting off on knowing how you silence the crowd and then they don't give anything to their home team. So what I will say is, dude, I've seen both sides of that in this playoffs. Because remember, this is in Korea. So everyone will remember how everyone cheered for fucking like every single moment T1 was doing awesome. But I'll tell you the interesting thing I've noticed. Dude, a lot of the players on the uh, on who choked even on the actual fucking LPL teams were the Koreans. Did you notice that? It's Tarzan, it's Scout, it's fucking obviously <laughs> like most of Gen G, mostly you know, Katie Rost has a few players that are in there. Like, I think actually the pressure of being at home also is really big for these players who lose. I don't think people realize it's not just universally a positive always, you know? Well, I think it's also true that we've very rarely seen teams win worlds in their home countries. And clearly that's going to oh. be a biased statistic because, you know, European and North American teams are never going to win any world. So, of course, they so don't also win them. There's been a lot in there. Yes, true. Like, half of them have been in there. So, like, you did skew that one a little bit, Trent. Okay. <laughs> so, I did skew it a little bit, you have to say. Um, but but even, you know, the last time we had a world finals in Korea, it was between a Chinese and a European team. So, there wasn't even – I mean, famously, that was the 2018 tournament where all the Korean teams bombed out super early. Uh, and it's been quite a few years. It, it has been a rarity for teams to actually become victorious, not only in Worlds, but at MSI also, at MSI also. Oh, uh, so there, it does seem like even though you don't have to do the travel, you don't have the jet lag, you don't have the discomfort of being in a new country, you are, in fact, in your own practice facilities, especially in Korea, where all the teams are located in Seoul, right? It has at least made a difference in terms of the actual winners. And perhaps you could make an argument that the added stress of having to compete in front of your own crowd uh, is a factor in that. By the way, obviously we will jump into all four of the series and we'll go as time as we want to go. But I will say, I actually did find also, even though on paper the quarterfinals looked good in the sense of like giving decent chances, like most of them, we point, we point this out, we bet a lot of underdogs. Like the joke is we even said an RGN, probably the best possible chance to get out of all those opponents. But if you actually look how it played out, I, I was a little bit underwhelmed by the quarterfinals because here's my like quick assessment, right? The Gen GBLG series did eventually develop into a really exciting series that was actually quite fucking cool. Like, I even think people probably overrate how some of the Gen G players choked. Like, they had some games that looked really good. The, the Weibo one was obviously a bit shit, even though, to be fair, like, the first, at the beginning of the game, NRG was sort of in it, but then they weren't after that. <laughs> the JDGKT one was, like, deceptive. Like, it sort of was good, but then when I look back, that just feels like a massive missed opportunity for the KT players. It feels like they yep. actually maybe were like tiny bit hesitant, but at the same time, at least they were actually getting in position to do something in the game and they were making responses and stuff. And then unfortunately, obviously the LNG T1, which on paper, actually, I thought the potential would be the best series. If you told me something was going to go three, two, be back and forth, this should be the one that was just shit. I mean, as you alluded to there, the reason why this one sucked, it was obviously the most recent one we saw is because mate, this has to be the, you know, that you were making that point all throughout the year that of all, all the because they have Tarzan and Scout, obviously, of all the LPL teams, LNG is kind of like the most LCK out of all of the LPL teams, right? Yeah, they proved it, Monty, because you know my number one pet peeve, where Koreans just keep going like after you, sir. No, no, after you, well, touche, <laughs> and just let, let themselves lose because they know they're second. This is the worst example I've ever seen of it, bro. Like, you know, you can strategically give up a dragon, you can't just give all of them up, can you? Forever <laughs> till the end of all mother, holy shit, holy shit, are you kidding me, mate? Are you what the fuck's going on here?
What is uh, this? That series was an ab- abomination, Monty, because it was essentially someone just playing scared, but like for the whole series, it felt like, <laughs> what is this? What is this? I feel like for real, LNG was just shook the whole way through, mate. Should we do this one first? Let's, let's do it. I think LNG was shook, but I think it's also because of how good T1 is in this meta. There are several things. So to your point about all of the Drakes being taken, if you guys will notice, one of the key strategies that T1 had going in is they always pick red side. And by the way, there was a coin flip that JDG won, and JDG has selected red side for the first match of the semifinals between T1 and JDG, which I think is very smart because... Look at what happens when T1 gets red side and they can counterpick bot lane every fucking game. They dominate the bot lane. They they have insane push and then they start stacking drakes at five or six minutes into the game. And in at least two of these games, possibly three, I'm forgetting off the top of my head if it was the third game also, LNG was getting first blood. The problem is, is that they were getting first blood in mid or in top lane and then they were blowing a bunch of summoners to do that. And they were low and they had to go back. And at that point in time, the pushing bot lane and owner just go take Drake at five minutes. They take Drake at five and a half minutes. They take Drake at six minutes. And then now all of a sudden you you are set up for a 21, 22, 23 minute Dragon Soul. And you don't have any control on the bottom side of the map. And, you know, this really is a testament to T1's preparation, the depth of their champion pools, particularly in top or in bot lane, their ability to do weird shit. I mean, they... They played LNG's draft like a fiddle. Bait out the Blitzcrank, right? It looks like you're going Tom Kench Senna. No, right? It's actually Neela. And then you have nobody to grab. Blitzcrank is totally useless. You get your shit shoved in. They get to level for free. And then you have Wombo Combo, you know, team fights in, in the mid and late game. Uh, they they were doing things like building in a very punishing fashion for the early game. Lethality on everybody. Lethality on Aatrox. Lethality on Senna. You know, every, everybody's got lethality. So you're going to punch those squishies at one to two items really hard. And it it becomes very inadvisable for LNG to take fights when they're down in terms of their power spikes. And then on top of this... You, you layer on the frosting on the cake that was Tarzan absolutely griefing these games, including... Boy, the Jarvan performance was pathetic. <laughs> that was all the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh, like, everyone oh. memed on that for playing Jarvan, mate. This was like an NA fucking game from back in the day. What the fuck was this? <laughs> like, and, and it, I mean, the Jarvan game was horrific. He was horrific on Jarvan previously in this tournament, but he was horrific in a different way in that he just didn't do anything. He didn't do anything yeah. in the early game. He Obviously just farmed. in this one. Yeah, he was... He I mean, was, you, there's no way you can remove from your mind, Monty, that sequence where Scout just inexplicably dived forwards on his own when the guy was at the Raptors, and then just... <laughs> Tarzan was like, oh, I'll have a go as well. Then just came out and then just died. Do you remember? It's like the Oriana shock. Well, I remember. That that whole sequence was actually for real. Like they both took loads of cough medicine and they thought that was synchronized. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) oh shit, what? Did I do that? So was that that me or you? Like, what am I doing here? I mean, the funniest thing is that it doesn't even matter if it was synchronized because then they would have both died because there was just no play to be made. They would just got caught by shockwave. It would have been the same bullshit just with two of them. And then game three, the, the entire game plan was predicated around Szechuani Renekton shutting down the Jason top lane, right? Like that's a that's a scary situation for a Jace to be in. T1 rolled the dice oh. and said, we're going to be okay with this 
even though we are intentionally R5-ing a Jace pick in a really dangerous lane. And they said, doesn't matter if he falls behind. Uh, we know that even when uh, even when Zayas has historically gotten behind on Jason Lane, he's still relevant because of his, sh his Shock Blast accuracy into the late game. So we're going to take this. And then Tarzan dies in the stupidest way possible at level one, completely shattering any pressure that they have on the top side of the map. Jace gets a free lane. He gets a free lane, and then they they give him. T1 just gives him all of the farm on the map, right? And then on top of that, you're playing Renekton, Sejuani, Oriana, Filios, Milio. How do you get on Jace ever? If you don't stop him in the laning phase, you can never kill him. You can never, ever, 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 ever kill him with this composition because they have Poppy ult for peel, Azir ult for peel. They have Renata Glask ult for peel. They have Varus ult for peel. Like, even if Renekton gets a flank, you don't kill him. Like, you, he does not die because they have so many ways to stop you from getting to the Jace. And he just free fires. And it was it was horrible, Thor. And it was... Uh, it's, it's hard to overstate how badly Tarzan fucked up. Because this was a, this was a truly, truly spectacular collapse. I mean, it also showed me as well. Like, this is the problem always that you're going to have when you have, like, your stars or Koreans like this. Because, mate, when the jungler fell apart, they had nothing, this team. I mean, they really did, like I said, just sort of take a beating, like, quietly, just like, oh, okay, yes, sir. Oh, sorry, sir. Oh, so they fucking just took the beating and then they just went off. Like, as though it was just their job to do that. Like, you, I couldn't even believe, like, the look, like these guys look like they don't even know the series began. Mate. It was mental. So the crazy thing is there's so many angles to this series. Like, first of all, like, this is how you know that when they're on their game, T1's strength will always be weird off meta shit, Monty. Because if you actually look at the drafts, dude, before the series, if I just look only at the LNG side and I say, right, boys, I'm going to get us these champions. Like, Gala, you're going to get a bunch of Aphelios. Scout, don't worry, I've got you fucking the Azir and the Jace. Or oh, Tarzan, if things go badly, we'll pull out the Sejuani. These are all their fucking picks. The Zika guy has all the picks he wants in top lane. All of their picks are coming to them in the draft. But the point is T1 has answers. And they're like you say, they're baiting some of these picks out. And what their responses were fucking genius. Like, obviously, the most immediate role I have to immediately look at. It's not even the one that ever, the broad Podcast obviously can't shut the fuck up about Faker, right? But here's the problem. This is actually the... Like, obviously, he did play well. Mate, this was a fucking support gap like you will almost never see. What was the... The hand guy did nothing ever. Like, did Blitzcrank ever fucking shoot a hook, by the way? He could his mental. It was insane. <laughs> no, just, yeah, though, he was just doing nothing the whole game. Like, what And then also, like, as you say, like, the media was garbage. They had nothing. Meanwhile, Carrier's picks, like, just changed the whole draft every fucking time. Like, like I mean, people could... You could even see it coming. Like, obviously, the problem in the finals is Carrier sometimes doesn't do this. But when he has the balls to, like, that Ash pick was just right there, Monty. If you've seen him play if you were like, bro, you don't know this if you're LNG, maybe this is the only guy in the world will just pick that. Or, you know, like, this is the guy who, who basically made his name doing those fucking ADC support picks. So I thought those were all bangers. And then also for me, it's like, we hyped up this angle that like, oh, Zika is one of the only players who can go head to head with the top lanes. This is why I'm sick and tired of people misunderstanding narratives. The reason why... Khan was a choker and why Zeus is a choker is because they are fabulous players. They're actually Dardy Award contenders every time. They could be the best player at their role, but then they choke in the big game. But notice to do that, you have to be amazing. People really do, Monty. Look at these players choke and they just go, I guess they just sucked all along. It's like <laughs> you've, got you've literally got the storyline 100% wrong. That doesn't make any sense. And what you saw in this series was what happens when Zeus doesn't choke. He was a fucking monster. He was actually unbeatable in this series. He's just fucking just running over everything.
What a fucking <laughs> sick performance. And the only person I'll give any, any fucking quarter to on LG is Gala. And even then, <laughs> essentially, it was just someone on Gethelios never, ever getting attacked into and just having to back off the whole time. So it was fucking shit. Like, this is just garbage through and through this well, LG series. I also don't really get Scout as a player now because he... You know, he didn't have a great performance in this series he did either. In this one. He didn't. Yeah. It's not that he was actively grieving like Tarzan won, but was. But he he looked significantly weaker. I, I, he was on the road to like MVP status if LNG did well at Worlds, given his Oops. Swiss performance. But yeah. it's the same shit we saw last year. Like, remember when Zika and DRX? He was terrible by the end of that series. He was he had terrible. had a couple of bad games, yep. Yeah, he yep. was terrible in the last game of, of EDG DRX. And for whatever reason, Scout can never get it together against Faker. Faker is just permanently branded in his psyche, and Faker completely dominated a lot of these like mid lane matchups. And he certainly had more of an effect. And this is a Faker that we, we still haven't seen play more than three champions at this tournament. And we know he can play Nico too. He's played Azir, he's played Oriana, and he's played Silas. And we know he can play Nico because we saw it in the, the summer playoffs. But can he play anything else right now? Like that's a very legitimate question. I imagine the answer is yes, but we can't say that he is necessarily up to speed. Now he doesn't have to be because he's probably gonna get one of these champions in any given game. But you can't just play Silas into any matchup, right? That that becomes a very dangerous thing and when he played silas in this series he knew he was picking into maokai and then of course lng just picks rakan right afterwards so now he has maokai and rakan ult as silas so it ended up being even though it's a tough laning phase versus the jace it ends up it ends up being valuable by the time you get into you know out of the laning phase so i don't know like i think t1 is an extremely good team right now because they are able to really flex everything that they've done for the past two years. The last couple series, the one versus BLG and now the one versus LNG, has been the greatest hits of T1 from 2022 and 2023. It's back to Tom Ken's chinks. Here's Gumayushi's Neela, which LPL teams didn't really play, but LCK teams did. You know, we saw all the good LCK teams play Neela towards the end of in summer. Like we saw T1 do it. We saw G, uh, G do it. We saw KT do it. Uh, they're going to be more comfortable with this pick. Hey, it's back to Caitlyn Lux. Remember how Gumayushi was undefeated on Caitlyn for an extended period of time? Here comes the double hail of blades. AD carries again. They have a very, very deep bag of tricks. And even though I, 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 I don't think that the, it's it's not an argument that the Hail of Blades was as successful as it was in spring because they have, you know, they've changed these champions so that they're not as oppressive because of what T1 was doing. Um, and perhaps it's not really going to be worth using that versus JDG, but they get a, they did get a small advantage from doing that in the laning phase. And it's just one more thing that you have to fucking worry about when you play this team. The problem is this, though, Monty, is... If LNG had had some of the JDG in them where you're actually willing to take fights and you're willing to force the action, they actually would have had chances in this series. Like They could have gotten back into some of these games. There were moments that were there. They just never took them or the inted and they just did nothing. So to me, the real problem here is People are gonna. I think people are gonna overhype T1 as a result. Like I'm, I'm waiting to see what the the when we do the the prediction segment because I imagine again the, the odds will be way too favorable for JDG in this scenario. That's just how people are. Because the problem I have is 
Look, I didn't expect LNG to play like this, but I can't. It is, it is inconceivable JDG would play the way LNG just did. Even if JDG sure. ends up losing, they at least will play their game. Should we switch yeah. on to the JDG series then? Because, like I said, this was the one for me, Monty. That was like it was like deceptively close because it was actually like a game where, like, like I said, KT were making reactions and they were getting kills themselves, and they would get a pick every now and then, and they were getting their champions, and it's like, and it's like you were like this close to it getting really good, and then it never really did, and it was just like JDG just did. This is why, if people don't know, to me, I actually I can't even still conceive of a world where they don't win this world. It's like they just have like an unbeatable quality to them, and I think even they know it which is the craziest part <laughs> just pull it protected by an plot armor of infinite thickness uh it's like by the way when preamble was mega this actually katie was the one team that looked like they had actually the style it was looking like it was working early yeah i i think i think when we consider what katie did clearly this is a series that should have gone to game five. it should have been five games yes yeah it should have gone to game five that said you know the KT the KT first map was relatively clean uh, outside of of Keen in the top lane, but it it did feel as though and BDD was you know quite good I think throughout this entire series, but it it really did feel like KT was still more or less opting into late game scenarios. You know they they wanted the Aphelios versus the Zeri or the Aphelios versus the Jinx. These are two teams that like playing these very late game scaling AD carries. And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, T KT started banning the Zeri, even though they're one of the teams that plays it as well. Right. And I, I just don't think that in the, in the future matchup of T1 versus JDG, the, the bands are going to change really significantly because KT wanted to kind of sit there, scale up and T1's just going to play super aggro. They're just going to play super aggro through the bot side of the map. They're going to try and get these edges in the bot lane. And for me, what was underwhelming about JDG in this series is that they were consistently falling behind in the early game. They were not playing particularly well out of the laning phase and losing early skirmishes. And I think that can honestly be a very big danger uh, against T1. Their teleport usage, especially 369, was really quite sketchy. I think 369 played quite badly, honestly, in the Gragas game, despite the fact that we talk about him as the best top lane Gragas in the world. And it wasn't just his laning play or his his micro. It was really just bad decision making about when to use TP. Um, so this 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 does give me some concerns. The thing about JDG, as you say, is that they just never lose. You know, somebody's popping off on this team and missing obviously had a wonderful series on this recon. Beast, yeah. Yeah. Had a, had a great series. Um, Ruler was a little bit invisible at the start of the series, but then I think turned it on in a big way later on. And we got to see some really good games out of night as well. It, by the way, that, that Nico in the second game, that like four-man pop blossom, this is where like, if you've already seen the Western Nikos, they're on another level when they play it in fucking Asia, mate. Like, <laughs> that, think how dangerous that is. Like, just, what do you even do against that? I, I think it was, sure. I also think that was an extremely ill-advised fight for KT to take and that you can absolutely just give up that Rift Herald and you'll be feeling very confident as you, you kind of head into a late-game situation. But... When you give the Renata Glask up, as JDG did, you have to find alternate angles and see how you're going to, you know, create pressure and pincer. And one thing that that JDG is stellar at is all of these pincer attacks. I was doing, I was streaming my VOD reviews, 
And there was a play that JDG made uh, when they were they were having a team fight in the jungle where they literally perfectly executed a four way pincer. Like they were literally yes. coming from all four directions perfectly on the engage. And I, I stopped it and I said, I don't know if I've ever, I've ever seen a team do this before. I don't know if I've ever seen a team do this. The level of coordination that they have is that nutty. Fucking Koreans as well. Like they're not. They're all speaking Chinese. It's actually <laughs> mental that they're this good. Because that's the thing, Monty. You can tell when they do those moves. That's like just like intuitive team play. You know what I mean? Like no one comms that. Like there's no way you could coordinate, it, but they just know how to play off each other. By the way, as you said about the missing angle, as if it isn't terrifying enough that you can go through all the other players. Like people think Kanavi's the best jungler in the world. All the other players best at their role. Impossible. They all fit together. Oh yeah. By the way, the missing guy. Just this little Chinese support you don't need to worry about yeah he's only like 31 and 3 on fucking Rakan this year and spoiler think about their style of team fighting like Rakan is a fucking nightmare to play against so but the problem is it's like we've been pointing out as well Monty you can't ban these fuckers out like yeah go ahead and ban the missing guy out and then ban out fucking ruler as well spoiler you've just given knight and 369 all their champions Kanavi probably gets the early game jungle he wants it I don't I, this is why you, like for real this is like one of those teams where you can only knock them out you can't win in draft you can't win by just doing the right thing early you actually have to just straight up knock them the fuck out. And that's why, on the one hand, like, look, Katie actually, I thought it was quite an admirable effort, but they were still, like, they were missing that little bit. They didn't, they didn't have the fifth gear they needed to go up to, if you know what I mean. Because I'm with you, Monty. After that first game, and then looking at the drafts, I was like, oh, they, like, they, they, they still think this is Swiss system. They want, like, the aiming angle where he just carries, like, two team fights at the end of the game. But how do you ever get there against this team? I don't know how no. you ever get to that point. That's the problem. No, and I think by the time we we start looking, oh, look, I I appreciated some things that they did in this series. By the way, I had been screaming over the Genji series. Where the fuck is the Lulu? Can you please just pick Lulu? Right, this is going to be a, a lot better in terms of your ability in lane, and also it really relieves the pressure against some of the dive compositions that people are running over the course of this tournament, and it's extremely helpful for for propping up your backline. But they started to run more pick style compositions. If we talk about Syndra, Vi, I mean, this is a very powerful 2v2 in the mid lane that can create picks into the mid and late game. That's one of the games that they did better. And indeed, they should have won if Keen, I mean, they made the wrong call. Like, they started this Baron. Keen is sitting in the yep. jungle waiting to intercept somebody at the top turret instead of just zoning the Baron. If Keen is at that Baron, there's no problem. They win that game, right? Um, there are also, of course, other various tragedies because the funny thing is, is that even after they lose that Baron, they're not out of that game. They also got trolled by the fucking Chemtech Rift where yep. we saw the Blast Cone just randomly knock Cuz into, you know, far away from the rest of the scene where he's focused and killed. If that, you know, it's funny, I was watching that. If that Blast Cone also knocks Keen in the same direction as the 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 uh, JDG teammates he kills them all and that's it and yeah. the game is over right so the game is over if they get Baron the game is over if Keen actually can follow Cuz and the rest of the members onto the blast cone uh, and then of course you know the the cannon minion just has to randomly end it at the end of the game so it was it was the most KT way to lose it was sad uh, but. I don't think they would have won game five of that series, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't, no, I think JDG no. would have to colossally choke because that game was a, that game was a very, you could see the flaws, whereas JDG kind of stomped game two and game three. And especially by the end of game three, KT was not prepared for 
the Siver ults and the speed at which JDG was engaging. They were constantly out of position. They were threatening objectives while Keen wasn't setting up. So basically, you know, JDG could just Siver ult, have a 5v4 fight. Uh, and that's a team problem. It's not a Keen problem. Uh, they just need to respect the Siver ult and the, the speed of that kind of engage. And that's how teams like T... I'm surprised because that's how T1 uses Siver too. too. It's not about the 5v5. It's about attacking the map when you have a man advantage with the Siver and pulling off picks or you know collapsing on somebody on the side lane or taking a 5v4, or taking a 5v3. Um, so I was surprised that they were not prepared. They did not feel prepared for that. But it was kind of a lethargic day for KT. That said... They did better than I thought they would. That's <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, it's like we say, though, there really was a world where, like, it was starting to look, it's not impossible. Like, they have a chance to, like, like, if you say, if you got to the game five, anything can happen in one game. Why not? Like, they've got the players. They've got the, they've got the player strength to do it. Sadly, like I say, though, like, I am just, the most, the player I'm the most disappointed by is just Keane, mate. Like, he could have been so much better than this. Like, he, especially because, like you say, it's not like this was an awesome 369 series. Like, it was right there for the taking, potentially, but he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it for some reason. Something wrong with that guy's head. It has to be, because he's so skilled. <laughs> this is one thing I am sick of, by the way, because they're doing it now with scouts. I'm sorry, just because you didn't watch the domestic league doesn't mean you get to pretend if the last series they play sucks that they were never good. That's not how it works. That is never how it will work. In the same way as if someone's the MVP of the regular season of the NFL and they suck in the playoff game, they aren't suddenly not the MVP. They still were the best player in the regular season. So <laughs> people have got to stop doing that. But like the problem really here is now no one will remember how good Katie actually was in the summer at one point, Monty. It'll just be forgotten because they blew the playoffs and then now they just were sort of all right with how they went out at Worlds. But if you think about a world where on the other side of the bracket, Weibo hasn't done anything and they're in the fucking semis. This could have been so much more for Katie Rolster. Like, this is a team that for real could have been like a top four team. I mean, by the way, if there was a lower bracket, dude, why couldn't they? They could be like the third best team at the tournament. Who the fuck knows? Like right now, beyond JDG, it's wide open. It's just day-to-day form and opponent and the draft. And so like this could this is a this is a perfect example of a team that could have benefited from that lower bracket, as well as obviously Gen G that we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, I, it just goes to show that it's very deeply unsatisfying that we do not have a double elimination at the World Championship because now we have to, because of the shittiness of Swiss, we now are in a reality where Weibo is able to make a semifinal without having beaten a single LCK and LPL team. Yep. And in fact, losing games to exactly. a Western team that didn't even make quarterfinals. So they lost to G2. G2 doesn't make quarters, and yet here they are in a fucking world semifinal. And as Thor and I have said, you can have your garbage-ass Swiss system if at least we have double limbs, so I don't have to live through Weibo gaming, you know, definitively being top four at this tournament, right? They at least would have an opportunity to also, play through the loser's bracket. I don't bracket. know about you. I want to get your take on this. What do you think about this? Because here's the problem. When it's like the LCK, I don't really mind if it's days and days between playoff series because like it's just the normal season. So we're all just living our lives. And then it's like sports. You make a note on your calendar, right? Saturday, they're playing this game. And then you come along and you watch the game, right? When it's Worlds, Monty, I actually find this massive gap of like, I find it really jarring. Like I'm used to watching TR and see us come back. The next day, I want the match to be on. Like, you know, maybe two days off tops. Like, on those tournaments, you want to build the hype and keep it going. Like, it's like a momentum that goes. So even I understand strategically, it's probably, by the way, it probably gives T1 a big, bigger chance to have a week to practice and figure out stuff for JDG in the draft. But it's not as exciting. Like, I find myself just looking like, 
So wait a minute, now I just have to wait like almost a week with nothing. Like there's no fuck all shoulder content, by the way. No, it's that just doesn't exist, mate. Like we're the shoulder content. Guys, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, in a, the way, in a way we're out is the saddest thing. We're just unpaid shoulder content for Riot, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> we provide that. It's okay. Don't Riot, don't start making it. We got this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Watch our shit instead. What do you think of that though? Like, like are you okay with this big gap? No, it's stupid. We could have there's gonna be two weeks and three best of fives. We could easily have a, a, a loser's bracket during this time. No, it's completely ridiculous, especially because yeah. we're in Korea. They don't have to move very far. They're not even moving any place between quarters and semis. All of it is going to be in Busan. It seems incredibly easy uh, to be able to run a loser's bracket in a way that would be satisfying for the fans and everybody else, increase viewership, et cetera, et cetera. Minimal additional cost, if we're being honest, because you probably still have that venue rented out because you're not picking up your set between the quarterfinals and the semifinals, that Ven is just sitting there gathering dust during that time. So we might as well have a few more matches, have a better tournament, have higher viewership, get more excited for the finals by the time we reach the end. Um, and as to your point about T1 practicing, Thorin, I don't even think that's true. Because here's the thing. Who is T1 going to practice now? Who are they going to practice? They can't practice the LPL teams because the LPL teams will all talk to each other. Even if they practice BLG or Weibo on the other side of the bracket, I don't believe for a second that those that that those teams will not give information to JDG. Um, and that's a real and even if they don't, it's a risk that's unacceptable that you run. So who are they practicing? Uh, well, the Korean what teams are all out. It's obvious what they should do is just ask NRG to stick around since NRG is so good, apparently. And then just have like Parla Fox play against Parla Faker, sorry, play against Faker and, you know, Dorkler against Sears. And then that'll be great practice. And then Zhao, who said some, by the way, Zhao played like garbage in this tournament, so great opinion. But they, then he'll probably go like, wow, NRG are good. Oh, brilliant. Because spoiler, they're not. We'll talk about that in a minute, maybe. Mate, we were too fair. We were actually too fair to these motherfuckers. Like, we tried to see their perspective, these stupid NA fans of, like, it's it's not impossible they could beat Weibo. Mate, you know what? I apologize, Weibo Gaming. Your players are just so much better than NRGs. <laughs> I actually feel, actually, like, guilty for disrespecting you. Like, even though Zhao hasn't had a great tournament in general, it didn't matter, mate. It didn't fucking matter. Like, they, was, they were never losing this series. The joke <laughs> is they could have maybe, I'll say maybe, lost game one, as in at least NRG was in the game. After that, it was just over, mate. Like, this is yeah. this is a fucking pathetic series. Like, what the fuck? Because, by the way, like I say, I think Weibo's main quality is just player strength. Like, they've just got some very good players. If you get them on the right track, like, people like Light can carry a game, and Shai can definitely smurf, and in theory, people like Zhao Hu, and the, you know, they have the players who can do it, but they haven't even been that good in this tournament. Like, this is one of the weaker top fours ever at Worlds, mate. Like, it's up there with all the, all the you know, H2K back in the day. There's a whole bunch that, like, this wasn't a very good run. And the NRG side, it's like... It's, I can't, it's, I'm not even going to hit on them and say they were shit. This is just more like a regression to the mean. Like, they weren't really going to play like game one against G2 every fucking game, were they? Like, that's implausible. That's the, that's the outlier, you know? Because as I pointed out in the past, like, when did they ever stop people? Like, they just win, like, well, or they do a catch a throw. That's, that's NRG to me. Well, I think truer words were never spoken than this. Contracts can only have one best game of his life. 
exactly. <laughs> Unless we're talking about some sort of Hindu mythology, in which case it'll have to be in another life. It'll have to be reincarnated. So it can't be while he's this guy contracts the player for NRG. No, exactly. I know, mate. That's, dude, that's why these fans suck. Because simultaneously, we're supposed to only look at contracts against G2 and go, my God, one of the best Western players of all time. And these stupid org owners couldn't see him playing an academy. But then we're supposed to look at the LNG series and go, Scout, he's basically trash. Get him out of the league. It's like, what are we doing at this point in time? What the fuck are we doing with like three or two games sample size, you cretins? Like, the, <laughs> mate, that's not how it works. The sample size is your whole career. Spoiler, if you've watched the guy's whole career, you won't need to dismiss it all because I know which one of those players is really good and which one had the tournament. It was like, all oh, the worst game of his life, don't I? Because that's the real problem. It's like, like we say, it, it's it's more of a bummer, but that really is my note that I want to give on NRG. They didn't even play their worst League of Legends, Monty. They just played all right and then Maybe couldn't fine. do anything. Like, they're just not good enough, unfortunately, you know. Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't think it was an embarrassing performance for them. No, but it was fine. We said there was an outlier if they could potentially play at that level again. You never know if Weibo is going to choke some of these games or not. But I think Weibo came really prepared. Light had some really good games. Uh, we saw that they were very much ready for an Ezreal Karma uh, counterpick into Caitlyn Lux. We pull out the Heimerdinger. That, that Caitlyn Heimerdinger is obviously a lane we saw a lot towards the end of last cool. year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they looked... I, I thought... Weibo looked pretty poised, but this was another series where Weibo is on red side all three games. And what we're seeing is red side's really good. And this is something that I was, I've been touting, which yeah, I think is. That... You remember, everyone on Reddit told you that if you just pick blue side, it's an auto win. Yeah, I know that just triggers you so much as well because it's such well, a whack analysis. Here. <laughs> it's because it's, it sounds like analysis until you realize there's nothing there. It's essentially until, just, until you realize. Times so almost always happen. Like, oh, brilliant. Awesome. Well, so first off, <laughs> a lot of those blue side games actually happened in play ins and they didn't even happen in like there you Swiss. Go. Brilliant. So there was another, there was, it was, it was kind of biased by that. And then okay. on top of that in the early stages of swiss the top seeds always had side selection so if they Bangle. were picking blue side at the time the top seeds were picking blue side a lot of those swiss matchups were, were not very close on paper right they should win so yes. the real question was how many times was it like an which matches were underdogs winning on and what side were those underdogs on because that's actually the more interesting i think aspect how are you ruining all the sexy storylines with your fucking downer black pill context monty <laughs> take all that context it's a brilliant story there's this magical blue side that just can't be defeated it's like a fucking fucking curse or some shit well i'm sorry to red pill the fan base as it were I love it. <laughs> i'm sorry to red pill the fan base with my red side takes uh i will say the one team that had an absolutely horrendous Red side draft was Gen G. Holy shit. They pick red cool. side in game two and they completely fuck up the draft. Uh, those first two games by Gen G were were appalling in terms yes. of their preparedness. But this is this is the tragedy that can happen, Thorne, when you've played four games on stage Absolutely. at this tournament. Yep. You don't actually have good information on what the on stage meta is for you right scrim data is not always useful in terms of what should be powerful picks and what shouldn't be and gen g i think uh, took them a took them a couple games I, I would argue jdg as well game one they didn't look pre 
particularly good against KT. It took them like a, a minute to warm up. They had been off. Both those teams hadn't played a game on stage in like a week and a half. Also, I'll throw this out there since you mentioned it before. Logically, Monty, it's totally logical that if you're Gen G, you were practicing against KT and T1. They're on the other side of the bracket and you're all Koreans, right? Well, spoiler, they look like they all did scrim because look, they have the same fucking drafts. Like, they actually, <laughs> Gen G is drafting the same shit that like fucking KT is going to draft, mate. This is ridiculous. Or LNG, it's like giving you a break. Like, what is this? It's like the yeah. other side of the bracket. They're losing teams and drafting this shit, mate. A lot of the champions are the same, but it's also the way that those champions interact, like, made sense with KT. Genji, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, why why are we letting them, why are we letting Billy Billy pick Renata Glask in the first three picks? And we are trying to play Aphelios Tom Kench into that shit. Like, what, what the fuck is that going to do? Nothing. Like, you, that's an unplayable situation in mid and late game with, with Callista Renata olds, you know? Um, you know, why are we giving up Jarvin Oriana Rumble? Like, I understand that you don't think Ben's going to play Rumble because he had literally never played an entire Rumble game in his entire career up until that point. And maybe you don't think Shun's a good Jarvin because I think he had one or two Jarvin games in his entire career. But you can't just give up these power picks like this, especially when Jun is having a fucking fa like fabulous day. Shun uh, looked amazing in this series. Oh, Michael, Contrast yeah. that with his nidalee level one inting in the t1 series right um but i think that t1 series really helped them stabilize which picks they wanted to go for but they consistently got very very big draft advantages and there's just no world where gen g should be giving away zaya in a second round in the second phase of the draft when when we have Gen G on red side. Like what the fuck is that? You literally you literally could have picked it on R4. Like what are you doing? Like Pace is a perfectly good Zaya player. It makes absolutely no sense that you would be prioritizing this Aphelios in this in this scenario. So they they really messed up. I mean, and again, we thought we would avoid potentially the international performance of Gen G and they kind of pulled it together at the end, but it was, it was too fucking late. You can't just give up two games of this series and think your odds are going to be good that you're going to reverse sweep. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing, wasn't it? Because obviously now everyone's just going to use the usual narratives, right? Peanut and Chovy uh, chokers and they can't win. But if you look, normally if you choke money, it's the other way around. It's like you play well in the early games, like one and two, and then you just fall apart as the series ends. If anything, it was the other way around. Like they were shit at the beginning. Then they got it together and looked really good. And then they just couldn't close. It couldn't do three games in a row. Because I'll tell you another thing, by the way. I also do appreciate just the cynical fucking drafting from BLG. Just ban Ricard every single game if you play against the light. Why not? You saw what he does. And by the way, he actually was the player who had a good series. I still fought for fucking Gen G, mate. He's still good. Like that guy tried his heart out. There's just nothing he could do in the game. Like it's so it's so sad because you actually do feel like if they split one of the first two games, they win this series. Like it was it was right there, but they just put themselves completely I, in the hole. I mean, Thorin, if we're being honest, game five was an entirely winnable state for them. They actually had oh, an sure. advantage in the mid-game. And it wasn't until they really fucked up the the fight around Drake where where, where Doran like didn't flash and didn't use stopwatch for reasons that I don't understand 
um, that the momentum really yeah, shifted away from general them. as a series, though, didn't he? Like, that's the other sad thing. We've been trying to talk it up for the people we know don't watch Chelsea care. That Like, this has been a different door, and he really was actually good against even the best top liner. Dude, this is exactly the player that used to be memed on years ago. Like, he was making some terrible mistakes in this one, or just being mad underwhelming. I mean, he carried game three. He was great in game three on the Atrox. Sure. Um, he was great in that. It, he actually saved them. <laughs> big time <laughs> and i i thought his rumble was also quite good in game four um but the nar i mean people just at the end of the day the unfortunate thing is that people are going to remember that nar play forever now because it was a series losing play and it was so baffling in its execution um yes. but really just super disappointing because we didn't get to see a game where it felt like all members of gen g were firing like they were bailing each other out but the first two games were really, I think, quite damning, right? They were quite damning. And, and you just can't give up Rumble, Jarvin, Oriana. That combo, that's, by the way, that's a, that's a combo that's 10 years old in League of Legends yes, right now. Yes, very old, right? yes. It's extremely yeah. old. Um, and it's a, it's a known quantity that when you have all of these champions and they're in a powerful state in the meta, that you are going to get the hot pot. You're going to get fucking toasted. And it's really, really strong in the mid game. And it used to kind of fall off. But now because of how hard Oriana has been scaling throughout this tournament, it really just feels like the Oriana picks up the slack by the time the late game rolls around. And you still have a lot of viable late game team fighting and damage. It's tough. I think it's it's really, really tough to give that up. But credit to BLG because they retooled their entire draft between their T1 games and these Gen G games. And it felt like they were much more on the money, right? They have answers to everything. They have answers to the Callista. We'll play Ash Tom Kench. They have, they're playing the set of Tom Kench to get push and get priority over the bot side. The priority over the bot side is going to be a huge factor moving forward. And that's why I'm worried about JDG a little bit. Like JDG is, I mean, the, yeah, go on. JDG is excellent at the team fighting and the fundamentals of the mid late game. They're excellent at coming back from situations with deficits, but the way T one is playing and how hard and fast they can snowball on you makes it. If JDG cannot go into the T one series and think that they are going to be playing Zeri, like they can't possibly think that. And I'm not saying JDG can't play a lot of the things that T one is playing. But I wonder if they can do it as well. And I think red side is going to be absolutely huge in this series because allowing T1 to snowball off of early Drakes like they did is super dangerous for JDG. Because the problem is, is that you're never actually going to come online as JDG if there's a 21-minute soul fight. Like, the game could just end right there for you. And they haven't, you know, that hasn't been their their point of strength at this tournament is those kind of fights with disadvantages. Like they can close right, on you right. at 28 minutes if they win that fight. But if you, if you beat them up and you're, you're threatening game ending States at in the early 20 minutes, I do worry for JDG. Right. We obviously did on this show and competitive edge point out that actually BLG did have a real chance and like the odds were crazy for them, etc. Like to me, I think people always overrated Gen G just because, like you said, they didn't play anyone. I mean, one of the opponents they played fucking gam. Who gives a shit? It's only Team Liquid has to pretend that's a real team. I don't. I don't even think Gam should be in the fucking main event. I think it should be permanent playing team. And if they can get out of that over like a fucking Chinese sixth seed, then congrats, you get to play the main event. Otherwise, fuck off. I don't care. <laughs> 
care about what you play against. So to me, Gen G and Shauna's almost nothing. They basically beat T1 in one game and then G G2 just wasn't on their level. That was it. So to me, I never knew how good Gen G was. I was waiting to see. But like BLG, I knew this is the key thing I knew about them was they have fucking mad heart and they just don't give up in the game. Like they have I like I love their style. It's another really fun style to watch get back into a game, to have like the right picks come to them. But I want to ask you about the Gen G side, because they've done this now with two different bot lanes, but the other three players are the same. And here's the problem, Monty. So last year in summer, they were the best team in the summer. They go, they go to worlds, they bomb out in that case in the semi-finals, because they had that nonsense where they played damn one first. This time around, they were the best team actually technically the whole year if you look at like the results all in all they, they were the best Korean team actually the delight guy even played well we can't even blame the bot lane totally players was just all right like bearing in mind there's a world where maybe these rosters all change people have heard like else everyone's getting salary caps everyone's going to reduce players do you think they have to blow this core up Monty do they do something different because this is two years in a row those top three players haven't gotten it done and like you say this wasn't as bad as some of the other ones like, it's almost like they took turns to have a shit game each you know but they also never got on the same page at the same time like if you look in this tournament we were, we were before the bracket we were all postulating what about Gen G versus JDG in the finals who gives a shit now you know what I mean like they never they never turned up as the team that could have done that like they actually kind of were underwhelming I guess it depends on whether you value the floor, the domestic floor, which is extremely high for Genji and winning three straight titles and being in the last four finals, or you value disrupting a roster in order to improve their world's or international performance. Clearly, they haven't gotten it done internationally. They did, There were still elements of playing into, into BLG's style, right? There, there were still these elements. Um, which is what we definitively saw at MSI this year. And we saw last year, they just, Gen G, for whatever reason, refuses to do the things at international tournaments that they that win them success domestically. Now, I do think that part of it this time, first off, the draft was more horrible than usual, right? And it took them a, a couple games to, to kind of figure that figure that out, more or less. So you already are starting at a massive disadvantage by the time you have a, a handle over your own team compositions and the way you want to select your your champions within the game. But I also think there's truth to the fact that it it doesn't feel like Genji's meta. Last year felt like Genji's meta, and they fucked it up at Worlds. This year, think about how fast teams like T1 are playing that look absolutely amazing, and. That is not a style that translates well to giving up early drakes or or kind of playing scaling picks and moving Chovy into a side lane and farming him up. It's not that you can't do it. It's just that there's a higher risk associated with doing it in certain ways. Like the 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 cross map for more gold strategy fight at third and fourth Drake. First off, the, the the third and fourth strikes are just coming earlier in the game a lot of the time by like three minutes or so, three minutes, four minutes, um, because we're not talking about a seven minute or eight minute Drake. We're talking about a five minute, 20 second Drake. So it's a pretty big difference in terms of those timings. Um. Yeah, I think I think maybe this, you know, it just feels like the meta moved much more into T1's court than Gen G's, and that that feels like part of it as well. But they also didn't really hard commit to their own style again. They did get drawn in a little bit by 
by BLG into some of these. Problem is, that's what that's the scariest thing to me, dude. Because the same thing happened to MSI. Like MSI, yep. they, it was even the same opponent. They just they went along, like you say. They acted like some of the men in black wiped their knowledge of the draft. They didn't even play to their own style until it gets too late, and then it's too late, and then the other team wins. Like if I'm looking at this court and then I add in all those classic narratives, Peanut, Chovy, it's like. I think sometimes, even if it, they're good players on paper, you sometimes just have to blow it up and do something different. You know what I mean? Like, maybe these two players just don't fundamentally work together. Because they obviously, with no pressure, they're awesome. But when you add pressure, ah, just fucking, it get, it's so sad. Because I hate seeing players like that, Monty, that could, like, they could have every trophy in the cabinet. They could have won Worlds a bunch of times each. And they just keep doing this thing where they just bang their head against the wall and, and can never get over the line. It's it's, it's actually, this, it's this, uh, genuinely the saddest thing in esports, in my opinion. It's like truly great players who just can't win the big one you know yeah and i do think that even though the domestic success has been good uh, at this point you wonder if it's too ingrained in the players that they're just going to fail internationally that it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy right that they that the yeah, lack yeah. of performance and the disappointment <laughs> because you could say the same thing maybe about t1 and this group of players oh. But at least this group, like T1 has performed better internationally over the last couple of years than Gen oh, G has, yeah, yeah. right? They were, in, they were in the MSI finals last year. They were in the world finals last year. And yeah, I, well, they also beat Gen G at MSI, right? So they, they took down Gen G at MSI uh, this year, and now they've advanced further from them again. So while the finals have eluded T1, uh, they also have a younger core of players, so it's kind of more forgivable when four of their players are so young. Like, are we really gonna are we really gonna read too much into Zayas's choking when he's a 19 or 20 year old player compared to Peanut, right? Who's a lot older than him and has a lot more experience and is more of a known quantity. It's tough. I think if you remove Peanut, you remove all of the shot call like it's they're so inextricably linked together right because the evolution of chovy's game has been a result of peanut shot calling and peanut the, the evolution of peanut shot calling has been the result of having a player as good as chovy in order to shot call around because chovy creates specific advantages that you that are unique to gen g and that you can exploit by funneling resources into chovy it's it's hard to say if the either of them would succeed more without the other because Chovy didn't have success. Chovy had no macro sense before joining Genji. And Peanut is at a phase of his career where his ability to lead the team in game is his most valuable asset and it's not his hands anymore. And do either of these players are either of these players better apart than they are together? I think it's a very interesting question. It's a very hard question. If people don't know, when he, when he was on DRX and it was that mega scuffed lineup, the story went, I think it was maybe LS told this, but I know those Koreans told me as well. The story went that supposedly Chovy just didn't even talk in the game, Monty. He used to just essentially just CS and just do whatever he wanted. It was like a solo queue game. And and as much as like everyone flames people like Morgan, they were just on an island, mate, just doing whatever. Like, fuck, like, what do I do? Like, I guess, like, group of them, is he going, oh, shit, he's trying to side? Like, they were just guessing. So, I, I quite frankly, when people do that thing where they look at Chovy in isolation and they're like, oh, and he's improved this and that, it's like, has he, though? Like, to me, Peanut is just his brain. You know what I mean? Like, he actually yes. just does the macro for him. And so the problem you have is, though, if Peanut ever has a bad game in this scenario, Chovy's just going to revert to his usual sort of, like, still CS and get scale, but don't do much. Just sort of don't, don't do anything in the game. Because this was a brutal one, because... 
Obviously, the people who hate Chovy, this is all the ammo they need, right? They're going to be like, oh, shit, quarters again, like, no fight. But here's the thing. This wasn't even close to one of his worst performances. It's just that he kind of had, had a couple of good games and then a couple of wets that he just didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, like the difference is it wasn't the Chovy from the... Like, there's a reason why Pete, even Dom, who notoriously likes the LPL teams more, called Chovy the best player in the world. He didn't call Ruler the best player in the world. He called Chovy the best player. <laughs> that player is mega and when he's not in yeah. these scenarios. And that's also a killer is it's easy for everyone to see Monty when you choke and you just make the bad play that loses the game like that Doran what are you talking about but I always thought the the, the, the worst choke in a way is the one where it's like like what Scout did you just don't do anything you just let yourself lose and it's almost like you're like oh well go again and it's like mate in your career you don't get Trophy's had five worlds in a row now no finals that's that's actually fucking brutal I know a couple were on the shit teams but even so eventually you got it's got to happen one time I mean in this last two years you've been the favorite even these the last semi-final and then this one now your paper you're the favorite you're supposed to go through so I mean, like eventually it's gonna happen for this guy because he's too skilled not to mate like it has to happen come on realistically the last two years genji was the favorite to make the finals they were the favorite to make the finals last yeah. year they fucking lost to drx they were the favorite to make the finals this year remember remember what happened when T1 played BLG? BLG got shit stomped. And BLG made some really good adaptations in the interim. But come on. Gen G should have won this game. They should have had a cupcake semifinal against Weibo. They yes. should have been a lock for the final. Like the other yeah. side of the bracket is significantly harder. Significantly harder. And Gen G couldn't get it done. Right? They did lose the eventual champions last year. But they, they also could have won that series. Right? Also the worst team in the playoffs, but yeah. Well, except Rogue, I guess. Fair enough. The second worst team in the playoffs. Whatever. Whatever. Um, yeah, so it, it, everything, the stars have aligned for Genji in a way that is really unusual two years in a row. And yes, JDG is the favorite this year. It's not Genji. JDG came in as the biggest favorite in a world's, in a long time. Like a yeah, long absolutely. time. They were massive yeah. favorites coming into this year. Anything less than a world title is a huge disappointment for JDG. There's no other way to spin it, right? Um, whereas there were other contenders. I said Genji was my favorite last year. Other people had different opinions about who was the favorite. But I don't think anybody would have said that JDG is not the favorite this year. Anyone. And if they did, I'd, I'd love to see their reasoning, especially if they end up being right. Because also, even if T1 wins this year and T1 actually manages to overcome JDG, I don't think people would have seen the meta spin that has happened that made T1 powerful, <laughs> right? Because that's not... Predicting T1 after the Faker injury, um, what we saw them getting completely dumpstered by Gen.G in the LCK playoffs, the LCK finals... You would have to be a madman, I think, to to predict this team to win worlds with any sort of reason prior to the start of this event. But Genji, you know, I, I, I don't know. I was sure they were going to make the finals at least this year. I, I don't think I think they would have won, but it is it is super disappointing that they get the easy roads and they can't even walk down them without tripping over their own shoelaces. And it's it's not I mean, that they it's not that they lose a great series either because if you have been watching JD or uh, Gen G as an LCK fan, you just feel hollow watching this team because oh, you're like, this is this is not what I saw. This is not what I watched all year from you guys. And now everybody who doesn't watch LCKs thinks that's what Gen G is, but it's not. Oh, there's, there's a reason. I was even 
I was even trying to explain to someone who hasn't watched League in a while, like, oh, watch what the Gen G team's going to do now. It's mega. Like, they're basically, in certain game states, they'll just set up the waves and just use the map again. They never fucking did it, of course. Never did it, of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> why do that all year? Because if people don't know, that's one of those things that, like, pleb Reddit fans look at and go, this is their... No, no, that's, like, really hard to play against if you don't have coordination across your whole team. Unless everyone knows what the floor chart is and what you do next, those are the scenarios that just make you lost in the game. Like, and by the way, that's why people like Monty love that because that's like one of the most actually consistent ways to win the game if you know what you're doing. Essentially, you win without fighting. It's fucking genius. But the problem is, like you said, every time they go in this big international game, it's like they forget they even do that, mate. They just, they just actually try to do... What's weird is it's like they try to mimic their opponent each time, if you know what I mean, and just do what the other team does. It's so bizarre because to me, you should be leading the dance in this scenario. Like yep. You're the one that they have to answer. They have to find a solution to how, stopping what you're doing. And and think about this, Thorin. Who busted out their own style? It was fucking T1. They've been yes. the one busting out their style. And it doesn't matter if double Hail of Blades AD carry is no longer as strong as it was back when they were playing it in spring. They're still doing it. They're still trying to play to their strengths. They're 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 replaying all their old hits on stage for us. And we just don't get that with Gen Z. We get fucking nothing. You know, I don't get anything cool from from Gen G. I don't get to see any of the fun picks that they've had in the past. Do I get to see, uh, you know, Chovy play Ari, even if it's not ideal in this meta? No, I don't. Do I get to see? Do I get to see Doran try and play Gangplank and succeed into Bin's Jax? No, of course I don't. I don't get to see that. Right? It just feels bad. It just feels super. I don't get to see the fucking poppy jungle from Peanut. Just a bummer. Just a big bummer. Which also, by the way, is pure cancer because it's like, bro, you know that alt? That'd be really useful against a team like BLG, wouldn't it, you fucking idiot? <laughs> you take that carry out the fight, you win the game. But anyway, whatever. I won't let that one get to me. Here's the thing, though. On the other semi-final, because who gives a fuck about fucking BLG versus Weibull? Well, let's talk about the good one. Let's talk about the, the T1 versus JDG one. Because here's the thing, right? Is on the one hand, it's like we talked about on the before the quarters, if Zeus isn't going to choke and he's actually going to just play really well, then T1 is a factor. You've seen it here. I mean, obviously, like you said, there's so many draft edges they have for the bottling. And then Faker's job basically is just just stay alive and be good and, and pick two or three champions and just play them well. It's like classic ones as well, by the way. You, you know how to play a Zeus and how to play Oriana, the most classic champions of all time. And then you, you have a shot. The problem I have is this, is right now, everyone is just putting all the positives for T1 and they're stacking them all. But there's also a world where they just get clapped. Everyone's <laughs> oh, acting yeah. like this has to be like 3-2, best series ever. I want to see it. I want to see it. If it is, then awesome. I've been waiting for a banger series. But I think there's also a world where, like, JDG, by the way, no joke. I don't even think they've looked super dominant in all their games. They just don't lose is the thing, Monty. Like, they can make a game look messy. They just don't lose. That's the problem. <laughs> Reminds me of those old uh, skip skip bayless tim tebow takes where it's just <laughs> he just he just wins he just wins all the games <laughs> yes. doesn't matter if By he the way, like shit he still wins even though sadly now it's almost like it's like a 10 year old take so no one will give a shit anymore but if you don't know 
All of you pleb fans who did shit like prop up NRG, you are like the Tim Tebow fans who literally <laughs> to the ends of the earth were still arguing that guy should be like a starting quarterback for like a real NFL, like a top team. <laughs> Meanwhile, anyone who had eyes was just like, look, it's a great fucking sort of like movie if we're making like of Hollywood. But no, obviously no, obviously no. Replace him with about 50 other people, including people from college. Like that was one of the all time great, like you have no eye test. Because like you say, they were just seeing him win the games. Like, but if he won the game money and then they were doing that thing that I hate where they were like he just wants it more he's got a great he's got a big heart you know all that like, <laughs> I don't care about having a big heart I care about a guy with fucking giant thighs who just smashes their quarterback <laughs> how about that I don't fuck having a big heart big heart's garbage so okay give me it then because here's the thing uh, we could probably spin this into the esports bet segment because I feel like you're so if the odds are at all like T one's the underdog. You're going to take T one, aren't you? I can tell. I I am actually. It's they are the they you. are the they are the odds underdog too, Thor. Come on then. So it's even, Should we do it then? It, it's it's obviously the match of the week, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just obvious. Isn't it? so, <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about this match. Obviously, BLG versus Weibo is kind of not very exciting. BLG should be able to quickly dispatch with Weibo, one would think. And if that match is close, it's not going to say good things about BLG in the final. I will tell you that. That's not going to be a good sign. You actually want that match to be incredibly one-sided because that is what will create a good final, most likely. And I think BLG can, can absolutely get it done there. They, they looked a lot better in their, in, their, uh, in their match versus Genji. Now, this match for... LFN is our match of the week, so thank you to Esports Bets. And what that means is that there's there's two things you can do with our match of the week. One of them is by the time the VOD of this comes out, the newest Competitive Edge uh, video with me and Thorin should be up on the Esports Bet YouTube channel. And you can comment on that video and leave your username below to enter into a raffle where you can win uh, up to 20 USDT. But you can also enter that raffle by betting $10 or more on the match of the week, T1 versus JDG. And you can actually double the winnings from the raffle by doing that. So you can enter for free. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can enter for free just by leaving the comment below competitive edge with your, your esports bet username, or you can just put up to oh, 10 bucks or more on the match. And that'll enter you, and you'll get double money off of the raffle if you do end up winning. Other raffles, too, constantly there on the Esports Bet Discord. So go join over there. Also, great way, uh, if in the giveaways thread, they have raffles for up to 500 USDT at times. And if you sign up using our referral code that you can see on your screen right now or click the link below, you uh, can get a 50% deposit bonus up to $100 USDT. So tons of really good ways to play along. And that leads us into this match. Because, Thorin, this is one of the very, very rare times that we see the elusive T1 as an odds underdog. Because, remember, even in even it, in it the only LNG took, game... As you said, it only took a team to never lose a series, <laughs> best fight ever, win everything, and beat T1. That's all it took to make them, like, a marginal favourite. Like, that's how ridiculous <laughs> T1 fans are. To them. Th- you, know what? you know what, Monty? In a way, though, a bit like the old TSM fans, I can almost admire that they are so unwavering in their single-pointed focus on just being obsessed with T1. Like, I'd rather it be something more productive than be obsessed with a, a League of Legends team, but at least they're loyal in that sense. They're not like the turncoat fans that just go on straight away. Like they are true believers because man alive. The idea, like I can't even believe how close these odds are now. It's wild. 
It's fucking yeah, wild. Like, it, it essentially, is. spoiler, if Monty really wants to take it, we'll go on the other side. I'll take a fucking 1.6 odds for JDG all day long. And 1. in 7. history, you're 10 years from now, you'll be like, how did you get those? It's like T1, baby, T1. That's all you need to know. Yeah, it's 1.69, so it's almost 1.7 uh, as it stands at the moment. So, yeah, I think there's good arguments. I, I took T1 even though they were the favorite odds favorites against LNG, even though I think they were the on paper underdogs, given what yeah, yeah. given what we had seen. Uh, I think T1's going to do it. I know it sounds crazy. Uh, I think I think that Faker is in good enough form. And we actually saw, especially his Oriana game, was extremely good against Scout. Knight, Knight you know, he didn't look amazing versus BDD, if I'm going to be honest. I think BDD looked like the better mid laner over the course of that series. I think 369 had some pretty terrible teleport usage, and I think Knight did as well. Meanwhile, I compare that to Faker and Zayas, where they're literally ganking top lane and then double TPing into bot lane to take every objective as fast as possible. The coordination and snowballing around T1 seems super good at the moment. And I also think that JDG is not going to have an opportunity to come into the game with their signature team fighting because I think they're going to be so far behind, and T1 is still going to emphasize these lethal early game lethality uh, power power spikes to overwhelm JDG. So I think T1's going to win this series. And that's, that's, that's my pick. That's my pick. Nah, nah. Here's the thing. First of all, you're just riding high off the one fucking LNG series. Meanwhile, you just downplayed that your favorite team, Don't mention the team got liquid. three, three, <laughs> one beaten by fucking JDG, who, as I said, I agree. JDG didn't even play close to their best series. Still did fucking win three, one still just like, Oh, what's that? Three wins in a row against the Korean team with all the best players voted by their fans. Right, we'll be off into the semis. This isn't the old teams that Knight used to have that used to collapse. This team's just a banger. So the problem I have is, is what your scenario could happen for a game or two. Yeah, T1 could get really ahead in a game. Can they do it three out of five? I don't think they can, mate. I don't think they can. And also, I think people are just riding the high. That Notice in that scenario, we, every single T1 player is just playing peak CS. Uh, League of Legends, sorry. Like, they're all just awesome. Carrier does, does all his ballsy picks. Kumiyushi is great, and you have to ban Caitlyn against him. Zeus is going to carry like oh there's a million ifs here mate. the difference is for jdg it just happens for them mate. they just win these fucking games so i love this angle i love the idea i'm getting jdgs to win this series like i don't i don't think they're losing mate. i do not think it's happening don't think it's happening uh, they, they've got to win because they need to go on to the golden road to be crowned the best team in league of legends history oh it would be uh, look i'm loving this narrative uh, thorn i am loving this narrative of T1 beats the entire LPL to get Faker's fourth title. I am secretly loving that narrative okay. quite a bit. It's not going to happen, so it's all good. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy it now. Well, lads, you've got like, what, four or five more days to enjoy it, and then after that, it will put it on the shelf. It's just another one of those what-ifs that could have happened, but it didn't happen, though, did it? Because so, the other problem I have here is this, is surely Faker is going to have to play all the champions eventually. This can't just hold that he's really just going to stay on this. Like, look, I get that you I can basically can. always pick Oriana and Azir, but <laughs> it, it, I don't, I, I think people, man, I thought people really overhyped that series. Cause here's my problem. They're acting like Faker just beat like prime scout. Scout played actually quite underwhelming in that series. And in fact, he had a couple of games that were just bad. They just, just didn't do anything. That, that wasn't the player that won the MVP and was in the final of the LPL this split. So my issue is, can Faker do that five games against Knight? I don't think so. And then the whole thing of like, look, you can say all day long, like, oh, the bottle, they can get ahead. Like, 
If you believe GDD is going to be behind in three games to the extent they can't come back in the game, that hasn't happened so far in League of Legends this year. No one's ever been able to do that. So if T1 could do it, God bless them. Maybe they deserve to win Worlds then. But right now, I don't know. The thing is, though, the more interesting angle to me is because obviously I'll, I'm on this one, by the way, we'll mark it down. I'll take JDG. You can, I'll, do a, I'll do a tweet to prove it. Monty will take yep. T1 on this one. The other thing is, I actually do think, though, I was pointing this out earlier before we started. This is the real final, though. <laughs> like, let's be real. Like, first of all, I actually do think, but like, this, it's not impossible. Like, BLG could be T. It could happen, but I would probably favor T one right now. And this is the real fight. Whoever wins this one should win worlds. True. Yes. I, I think. Look, BLG does have the firepower. Obviously, the only team they lost to in the regular season was, in fact, JDG. Right? They had the best regular season run. They're enormously consistent. So I don't think that it's true that BLG couldn't beat JDG. But it's certainly much more of a known matchup, and nobody's playing as weird as T1 is right now. There are shades of that. We did see BLG do things that T1 might do with their bot lane, but it's really the range and diversity of T1's bot lane that I think makes them incredibly, incredibly dangerous right now. Oh, by the way... Perfect. I very rarely ever do this, fans, but I found a chance. So you know what? Like some sort of mad fucking prisoner of war camp in the 40s, shine all the spotlights onto this guy trying to escape the camp right now. Get in the fucking Alsatians going, we got one. We got a fucking Redditor in the chat. So a guy in the chat, Monty, did exactly what I told you. He just tried to make a fake narrative that the real final of Last World to anyone who was an expert was the semi-final of T1 against JDG, not Gen G against DRX. Like, we're all going <laughs> to pretend now Gen G didn't win summer and be super dominant. We're all going to pretend they weren't the favorite to win the tournament after T1 <laughs> did what? Beat fucking RNG. You absolute clown. You've actually just fiction. You've made a complete straw man, but not even just a straw man. You actually created the straw out of thin air. You actually used like biogenesis or whatever to create straw from thin air. You made a man, you killed the man, and then said, I just killed the real T1. You didn't do anything, you moron. That was never the real final at any point. It was only the real final for real idiots like you. Like, that's how it was. Get him uh, out of the also, channel. Get also, people, out. people, you know, people do forget that this is not the actual point of it because the, the yeah, point that people were making was that um, there there have been finals that were called too early, but yeah, last year's final was, in fact, the best final in the history of Worlds. That's a, and mega. To be fair. Most of the finals were shit. So the bar was really low. The sure. bar was really low. And in fact, sure. if you look at the history of worlds, guys, almost every worlds, the best match happens before the finals. Almost every worlds. Last year was a bit of an anomaly in the fact that it didn't happen. But look at the history of worlds, guys. Look how many three O's there have been. Look how many non-competitive three ones. It is oh, much sure. more likely because of single elimination that the best match happens in quarters or semis rather than happening at the end of the tournament. So I do not think it is outrageous to say that T1 versus JDG is going to be the best match because it almost certainly will be. It almost certainly will be. <laughs> And like you say, it's just the match that carries all the storylines. Like, 
at the end of the day, unless Weibo can actually win the final, you don't really get to take storylines like, wow, and then Zhao Hu will have a world's title and Shia will have like two. That's that's just, at the moment, that's the least plausible storyline. If BLG wins worlds, look, it'd be kind of cool, but it'd also be weird because they didn't win anything else this year. You know what I mean? Like, it would kind of be like a dark horse win. And quite frankly, if you look how they played in Switzerland now, they're not actually at their peak level. They're actually still themselves a little bit sloppy. Whereas, as you say, all the storylines are in the other semi-final. Like, Faker, if he wins another world, like obviously it's inconceivable you win like 10 years later, isn't it? And to be in all these finals all the way. And then you look at all the rookie players. By the way, imagine how their narrative turns around that they're super chokers. It's like the one I told you last episode about the Astralis one. Yeah, Astralis used to choke all the major times until they didn't. And then they won everything and became the greatest team to ever play like CSGO. So in the same scenario, if T1 actually beats JDG and then wins worlds... We're not having this conversation about, and then what happens when Zayas chokes again, and then you know the owner can't get through it. Those just start to go away. In fact, they themselves will know we were the fucking best team. And then for JDG, obviously, to go the golden road is just impossible, isn't it? So if you do that, it's the sickest storyline ever. So, like, all the narratives are on this side of the bracket. It's good. That's why, actually, I just, I even though I actually suspect, I, I told you, I sort of think it'll be like a JDG, like, fucking 3-1 or 3-0 stomp. I actually think they'll wreck this one. I hope it's a great series, though. I hope it is. Not least because <laughs> the other one's bloody BLG Weibo, which is like, look, I don't really want to watch a fucking like regional qualifier game. Like, you know what I mean? Give me a break. <laughs> it wasn't actually one, but it could have been to point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling T1, man. I, I, I know that the games have been colored by the fact that LNG played so incredibly shittily that it was pretty easy for T1 to win. And they net their, their kind of loss conditions were never really threatened in many ways by LNG. But just in this meta right now, T1 seems to have more answers than anybody else. And they certainly Here's have my prediction. Here's what happens, right? Game one of the semifinals. Everyone in Korea is super pumped. They're all hyped. They're all believing. The whole broadcast, just like the other one. Like, you never mention Zeus's name. You just keep glazing Faker 25. Oh, my God, Faker. Can you believe Faker can play Ariana? Oh, my God. Two kills in the game. They're just raving like he's like, like, literally, I told you. If you took the name, but you'd think Knight and Faker were the opposite players if you listen to the press and broadcast. It's fucking crazy. So you do that the whole time. And here's what happens in game one. It's all going awesome. They do a great draft, Monty. They get a little bit of an edge. Actually, you know uh -oh. what, Zeus? is laying him well they get ahead in the game suddenly JDG wins two big team fights takes the Baron and the game's over and suddenly the whole crowd <laughs> and then that's it the rest of the series it's tough sledding mate because that, I tell you what that's the thing I love about the JDG team I pointed out before it's not that they just they don't do like an RGG2 game one and just win from the beginning to the end and stomp you all the way which is what you'd think you'd do with the super team they just have the craziest dispiriting comebacks I've ever seen in League of Legends like they do the ones <laughs> where it's like you're actually correct like you were the favourite in that team fight like if you're the if you're the team that loses to the Monty you are supposed to opt into the team fights that they're like willing to engage into because here's the problem when you think about that LNG series. Here's what's going to be different when this what happens right now. Mate, JDG doesn't do that Korean shit where you start losing guys and you all run and in the end you still lose three people but you just don't have a fight. Like, they just turn around and have the fight, mate. So, if T1 can actually clap them, you're going to have to do it with your hands as well. You can't just do it through draft and fucking this pick here. Like, that's all great but you're going to have to eventually click the buttons too, mate. That's the thing I love about JDG. They, they, they just go down with the fight, mate. You have I mean, to T rock about. T1 is the most LPL-like LCK team. They're the ones who are most willing to engage in 
you know, let's throw down and let's let's click the buttons. So. Let's do it. Let's, I want to come soccer robots, basically. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's your problem, Monty. You still want, like, strategy. No, I'm, I'm about that. Damn it. <laughs> I want, I'm, I'm like the UFC Just Bleed fan. It's like, stand them up. Make them fight like real men. Come on. Oh, please. Quit on the stool. And, and still, I'm hang in there. I've got more heart than him. You know, I just see red. I want that. I want people to go and have fucking fight you. Not least because, by the way, like, if you actually look at the champions in the meta right now, we could have some awesome team fights. Sadly, we didn't get many in actually the quarters, but we could have some really good team fights with these champions that are available mate yeah there's some great yeah. tools to use yeah it'll 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 be it'll be a fun one i i hope it's not a 3-0 or 3-1 either well if it's a close three one i don't really mind but hopefully jdg will not just run their way through the rest of this tournament although if they do i guess we just say that the best team is all time and we bask in their glory so could it could be worse oh, no, don't worry worse. i know all you people picking t1 now the second they lose 3-1 monty we'll just go well it's the greatest team of all time you know no one could do anything against them and besides you know they did well to make the same say no stick with your pick you have picked them to win worlds now we're just taking we're taking as it goes that is the Take implication by by picking t1 to win i am in fact picking them to win worlds. this is true yeah. this is true because i'm certainly not picking plc to win after that <laughs> it almost doesn't matter what i see you know I mean, it almost does not matter what happens in that BLG Weibo game. I would still pick T1 or JDG to win that final. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> even though I'm pointing out, I do think people overrate because they're just so eager for Faker to do well. It reminds me of people like Tom Brady and Messi at the end of their careers. Like people just want them to win the game so they can go. You were ne he never aged. He's still just as good as he ever was. But it's like that's obviously nonsense, isn't it? Actually, you know how good these players will. But I will say this: if Faker wins, I mean, I would have said the same thing if he won last year. Look, you can't be bad and win worlds. Like that's just not possible as in like even the players i meme on in drx and king and did play a great final i think he is a bad player but that one-off fight so if faker can actually make it there it's, it's not like he has to be the best player he's very unlikely to be the best player on t1 but just to play a mid lane still arguably the most influential role in the game and to win worlds 10 years after the fact that is an insane achievement it's not like you did it in the same way you did when you were the carry but like i say to even be like a lesser part and do that still is really fucking hard that's you don't trip over and do that so like people don't realize i'm not hating on faker i just hate when people just go too far the other way and talk like, like seven years ago or something like <laughs> yeah and i think the more impressive thing is the transformation that faker would have taken in in his career in order to accomplish these feats from his first title to his oh, last sure. I mean, uh, they are, you can argue it's the only way you could do that, right? Like, what are the odds you could really still be the, like, 1v9 carry 10 years later? Like, to win, you're probably going to have to become, like, a... By the way, it's the same in sports. You know this. Like, you give the keys over to someone else and you just facilitate them winning, you know? Yeah. And if you can be, uh, oftentimes, the veterancy and the mind that's directing the team is the most valuable aspect of that team in the end, yes. especially... I mean, the team's just very well constructed. It's very well constructed with four younger players with high mechanical abilities and broad champion pools directed by Faker at the center of attention. It, it really does feel like uh, one of those veteran quarterback games where, yeah, they're not going to be the guy who's running the scramble drills and going for additional yardage by running anymore, but they can pick apart the enemy, the, the opposing defense with their mind. And that turns out to be much, much more reliable uh, even if their physical abilities are no longer entirely there. And that's what Faker's been doing. He is the shot caller on this team. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've said this before. I don't want to say that it was a good thing that Faker got injured, but for his legacy, 
it was actually amazing. It was actually fucking amazing because we could see this exact team and what happens without Faker in it, and it is fucking disastrous. So shows how valuable he was for sure, and it really does bolster his the leg the legacy that he's built for himself at this point in his career. And this is, I think, this is going to be it's ride or die now for this iteration of the T1 roster. The after the season, only Faker and Owner are in contracts. You know, Gumayushi, Karia, Zayas, they're going to be free agents. And if it's another failure, I don't think this roster sticks together. If they can win Worlds, I think they, they might try and run it back. Well, here's the interesting thing, Monty. If you think about all the different moves and all the contract stuff that's coming in, right? Well, remember, we know the JDG team can't keep that team. It's just too expensive. Dude, there's a world next season. You could maybe get fucking ruler to T1. Like, that's sure. not even like implause or a Canavi or someone like these. These are real choices, dude, that could happen. Like if JDD doesn't win, who the fuck? If I'm a Korean team, I'm going hard as fucking both those players, man. That, that's well, a fucking sick signing. Especially because I think there's there's nuance to the new rules in the LCK where existing contracts uh, don't count as much against the the, the luxury tax hit, right? Uh, so Faker's massive-ass contract is not really going to have an effect, I think, on their ability to spend. And also, T1, it's very different because they're owned by actually two multi-billion dollar corporations in Comcast and, and uh, you know, SK Telecom in Korea. And therefore, going above and paying a luxury tax maybe isn't the biggest deal in the world for them if they want to continue to have the glory of winning or they think that the advertising value especially for sk telecom makes a lot of sense to continue like i i, I mean in korea everybody knows who faker is and i can't even begin to imagine his value in setting up lifetime choices of telecom providers for young people it's like when when you get your first you know when you when you go off your parents plan and you get your first cell phone there's not a substantive difference usually between different carriers right especially domestically so he sets somebody onto the path of skt and they just stay there paying monthly for decades right so his you know, marketing value do. is huge if I were them, I would just blend the two worlds together. If you get T1 as a as a as your carrier and you sign a two year deal, you get fifteen percent <laughs> off all truck hires. <laughs> That's right. Think, think <laughs> of the fun base. Tie it together. That would be really good. That's a straight fire. Like yeah, exactly. Hold them accountable. It's called the T1 accountability promise. There you go. You can cancel your contract if T1 chokes at another international final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the difference is, unlike NRG, these contracts will be good in a year. <laughs> there we go. Snap. That's a free one for you there. Free one. There you go. All good. It's all good. Too good. Too good. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think it's going to be fun. The semifinals are shaping up well. Uh, it's. It, I I can't imagine what the viewership is going to be for this T1 versus JDG match. Like it is going to be. It was huge. The viewership was huge at MSI. It's going to be absolutely massive this time around. Also, by the way, if you are actually JDG, this is also like a big step for you as well. Remember, you haven't won Worlds yet. So to win Worlds versus the Korean team in Korea with Faker, and they're also playing really well, like that would also be awesome for their narrative if they're going to go on and win Worlds too. Yeah. If they play BLG in the final, at the end of the day, play KTT, one of BLG, that's not bad. That's pretty good still. It's a pretty good run of teams. It's not like you played in RG. <laughs> 
Yeah, you didn't get the freebie in there. Yeah, you, you. Yeah, it's it's a good run for sure. I mean, BLG would have very legitimate world's title, right? Whether they beat JD JDG or T one. Uh, I, don't... Oh, well, I, can't, I can't let this go though I have to bring up the obvious the possibility because I've learned my lesson from the DRX one Monty we can't just say it won't happen what the fuck happens if Weibo makes the fight <laughs> <laughs> at that point by the way just announce double limb for next year because we can't keep doing this I can't keep doing this if Weibo makes the final somehow this is just nothing boys this is garbage what is this <laughs> Because that's like, not a good team, like, is it? It's like not. Fnatic making the world finals. It's just gross. So, so no it. shot, no shot to actually win. Um, I, I would suspect that at that point in time, given how much Kadrol's stream viewership jumps when Weibo is playing, I would actually suspect Kadrol of bribing BLG to lose with the money he okay. would make from a Weibo final. <laughs> so there's no way. I, I, if if Weibo wins, I think we're we're just in in danger of a super garbage final again, and th that's the worst thing. That's what I said. It's like if BLG doesn't clean up Weibo very efficiently, then I think the finals is going to be a real piece of shit. Um, any uh, if it's like a close three two to BLG, piece of shit finals. If it's uh, if Weibo wins, piece of shit finals. I don't think there's a there's a good way there's there's a good ending to that story. It'd be very unsatisfying. Viewer questions? <laughs> we can do some viewer Are we questions. Already? Yeah. Uh, I mean, not too many matches to talk about this week, guys. Uh, we are going to talk about one last sponsor before we go to viewer questions. That's, of course, Liquid IV. They're back again. Thank you very much to them. They keep me fueled up. And as we said many times for you guys, they have the sugar-free products now, which is great. Because if you're not actively using energy, you don't get the additional calories. Those calories can be very useful if you're working out or doing something active. But now the sugar-free versions are here to keep you hydrated. And if it, the weather's really dry out, if you're on an airplane, if you're having a long day, uh, get that hydration in. Contains eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. Uh, huge, huge, huge number of flavors. Some of the new sugar-free flavors are white peach, green grape, and lemon lime. Um, they have... They've got ones for sleep now, so they have ones to to drink to keep yourself hydrated throughout the night before going to bed. They've got caffeinated ones. They've got kombucha ones. They've got sugar-free ones now. It's absolutely everything. It's been great. Brought a bunch here with me to Korea. Uh, and, of course, you can get your liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco. Or you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code LFN at checkout. That applies to your entire order, so it's a great deal. Thank you very much for your support, Liquid IV. And I know you guys have been liking it as well, and thanks for going there and buying it. It does help when you guys buy it from the site using our code, uh, so we, we really appreciate it. Um, we are going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will be here with uh, some viewer questions. So we'll see you in just a couple. Right. We're back for a viewer questions segment. Obviously, on some of the past episodes, we didn't always have time. But we do have time this time, especially because there's only three matches left in the tournament. So if you don't know, the way you can be part of the viewer questions is to subscribe via our Discord. So the last Free Nation Discord, if you are someone who's a paid subscriber there, there's a channel where you can ask the questions and Monty obviously filters out the potentially good ones. <laughs> That's right. Um, 
So let's start off this week. Uh, Monty, looking at the current meta at Worlds, is there a pick that you think could have cheesed the underdog team? Any wins? Any trap drafts that you think could have been effective? I mean, I think we're starting to see this. Uh, obviously, like, I'm not going to say they're cheese picks um, because the meta is is stabilizing. But there's certainly a lot. I think what's characterized this Worlds is that you're seeing a lot of uh, cat and mouse games in the draft. Like think about the game where, uh, you know, the, the first game where hung was playing the, the blitz crank, uh, on LNG. And it's just the deceptiveness of red side draft. And the fact that they got baited into it, thinking it was going to be a Senna Tom Kench or a kind of standard Senna lane. And it turns out to be a Neela champion. You 100% do not want to drag into your team. And so there were really no targets for the blitz in that game. And I think that is, that's more the ingenuity that we're seeing at this stage of worlds. So, uh, Thorin, are you going to do another deft hype video? <laughs> if not, is there another player you want to give your Thorin esports buff to? So if you, if you, if you were going to make another video to buff a player, would it be night right now? I'll probably do a JDG one. Yeah. I think that would probably be the move. Um, all right. Uh, there have been many terrible importing decisions made in NA. Well, this is actually, we didn't talk about all the rumors that are swirling around the oh, LCS rosters sure. as well, <clears throat> where players didn't fit in culturally. GMs did bad jobs of evaluating the skills slash strengths. The player skills just degraded completely. Vikla being the most weird current example. Vikla was a weird one because he's young and he was literally the reigning rookie of the year of LCK. I'll just wait. He'll probably go back to LCK and be good again. I'm waiting for that to happen <laughs> at this point in time. Man. You know, it's like song. Maybe it just doesn't work in the West. Uh, who are some current or past players who weren't imported to NA, but you think would have been the most disastrous or disappointing if they had been? Who are some players you think would work out well if teams were able to get them? For example, I think if some reason Showmaker ends up in NA next year, it would go terribly, as he is a player who admits his performance is based on his confidence level. Yeah, he's a very motivation-based player. Um, whereas I think if Rookie came to NA, he could completely turbo smurf. Um, so uh, there, there's some, uh, speaking of some of the roster rumors, there are some rumors that Umti is going to NA. And this is one that I actually think could be quite successful because Umti actually speaks extremely good English. And Umti has been a very underrated jungler, in my opinion. He was, he's been better than Piotr. He's quite a cerebral jungler, right? Yeah, he he's been really underrated throughout his career. He just hasn't had a roster to be on a it's top team. He's been a lot team. of bad teams. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Umti would kind of be a sleeper like success. Actually, uh, he shouldn't be as rattled by the cultural differences, and he's kind of used to being on garbage teams that underperform. So he has the he has the mental fortitude and willpower to to get it through. And he also just doesn't have crazy expectations. Uh, since his teams have never been that good. So I can imagine him being quite motivated to do well in NA because it'll be his first shot to potentially be on a top team in his region, right? Uh, I think that could be low-key be a pretty good pickup. I mean, an obvious one to me is, like I've mentioned in the past, there were a number of times where Forgiven could have gone to LCS teams. I just think that would work out terribly because if you don't know, he probably, if they can't handle Dardock's personality, like there's no way they can handle <laughs> Forgiven. Like, I mean, I've had people now do all the stories about all the shit behind the Like that one way joined SK and within a week, every single member of the team had cried in real life. Like, <laughs> it's, it's on another level. So I can't even imagine him in those, like those fucking VOD reviews where apparently you're not supposed to be like overly critical 
critical of your teammate. Well, remember, this guy will flame you during the game and tell you you're subhuman while the match is going on. Like, if you think that clip's bad in Breaking Point where Dardock goes like, bye, piggy. Imagine that was just someone like, you fucking subhuman idiot. Why are you not going my head? Like, <laughs> the game while you're losing. Like, so I think he would have just destroyed like all the fucking team chemistry, everything. Whereas like, I'll give you one on the other side. I actually think it is a slam dunk that if Caps ever went to NA, he would have, it would be a dream. Like, he would just carry every fucking game. Everything's just a 5v5 team fight anyway. It would be impossibly good, I think. I think he's like the only European, I, don't, I think it's impossible, could fail if you went there. I think they'd love his style as well. Yeah, I, I think it's hard, especially for Asian players, because oftentimes when they come into NA, they're, they've passed the peak of their career, right? And when... They are when they're remembering what it was like to be the best in the world a lot of the time or among the best and how those teams function. And then they get into an, uh, a kind of a unmotivated, unskilled NA practice environment. It's very hard for them to keep up the motivation themselves, which is why I think it's often more fruitful to uh, talent scout younger, less accomplished players, because it's so easy, I think, to get jaded at a certain point in time if you're if you awesome. know. You're Pyoshik, for example, coming off the high. Because, you know, by no, Pyoshik, Pyoshik coming to remember. NA is just a tacit admission <laughs> that he's never going to win anything important again. And remember, when you're a player like that and you go to the West, you're very quickly going to realize, dude, there aren't even the same pressures to succeed here. Like, there's no one breathing down my neck. By the way, there's no one to replace me. I'm not getting subbed out. Like, this is just easy street, isn't it? It's like, essentially, I'll just put in some time, see how it goes. If it doesn't yep. go that well, oh, well, I got paid. That's kind of, it's yep. kind of understandable, unfortunately. I get it, you know? Yep. Thank you again to all the elephants. To all the LCS fans who mega embarrassed themselves when Perks joined Cloud9 by showing that they'd never watched Perks play League of Legends because they all pretended, Monty, this is one of the craziest straw man ever. They pretended that we always said in Europe, Perks was like the lane god who just batted lane every time and never, ever lost it. Like That was never his style of play ever in League <laughs> of Legends. But all those LCS fans had to go, look, he's losing lane again, killed. It's like, where have you been for the last eight years? But okay, go there. What's next question thank you again to all the elephant crew members and content creators for making this a truly refreshingly real space on the internet what is the most ideal slash preferred way from your perspective to support the show in lfn uh also if you had to bet something meaningful who would you rather have jdg or the field to win world so this is a while ago i think because we're going through some oh, fair questions enough, now. i would have taken jdg anyway yeah <laughs> depends on what the odds are obviously uh depends on what the odds are um, but what's the best way to support? I mean, the Discord subscriptions are great. Supporting our sponsors is very helpful if there's something that interests you. But otherwise, just, uh, you know, watching the show. It's pretty pretty good. We just need the more viewers we can get, the better. Upon the announcement of a ton of C9 roster moves, Jack said on the C9 Reddit page that they were in great financial shape and actually profitable this year. Do you believe this? Um, if it is true, what are they doing differently to su survive the esports winter? Well... First off, Cloud9 massively downsized, so I can believe that they were profitable this year, by the way. Uh, they massively downsized at the executive level. They cut a bunch of their uh, esports teams, and they were never spending the most money in the LCS. Uh, they, they, Cloud9 has managed to attract players by being a good team to play for and consistently having success no matter what the roster is. Players buy into what Jack is selling. Right. And they want to remain on this team. And he has the advantage of having like blabber and berserker at this point in time. And so he's just he's always created a magnet to draw other good players within the cloud nine fold. 
Um, so I, I would believe that is happening. And also the thing is Jack always gets, he always waits until first off he, he, he buys, he sells high and he buys low almost every time. Look at how he snapped up the, uh, the roster in CSGO. He got a deal on that roster considering how skilled they were because obviously they were dropped by, uh, their Russian, they were dropped by their, they were dropped by Gambit, right? They were dropped by their, their Russian sponsor, uh, due to the the Ukraine Russia war, and he happened to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, I would be surprised if EG fielded a roster next split. And so, where's Jojo Pion going to go? He's only got a couple teams like FlyQuest and C9. Would Jojo Pion rather play for C9 with Blabber and Berserker and Vulcan and possibly you know Fudge or another or an import top laner, or would he rather play for FlyQuest, which doesn't have the pieces in place right now? To make him as comfortable. Like, I think he he made himself, he feathered, he feathered his nest. Like, you know what I mean? So he's he's really good at doing that. And also, he has been one of the more conservative owners when it comes to especially infrastructure spends. Think of all the stupidity of building the TSM. I mean, facility. they still have a team house at the moment, don't they, in Cloud9? I yeah. think one of the few ones that still lives in a team house, right? They have multiple team houses. They're all in the same I'm not going to tell you guys where they are, obviously. They 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 have they rent multiple large houses in the same neighborhood of Los Angeles that are within walking distance of each other by a few minutes. And Jack has basically been taking over this neighborhood over the years where it's like he had one house and then he like waits for another one to like open up and then he rents that one. And then now they're like next to each other. Right. And so people can like freely move around. And so he wasn't spending tens of millions of dollars on a fucking Alienware training facility. He wasn't spending all of this money. And it's not that it's not nice. I mean, they have a nice place to live. These are very big houses and he caters them and, you know, has them all professionally cleaned and they're they're in generally quite good shape. But he's not spending a ton of money on purchasing infrastructure, right? Or doing long-term corporate leases and then renovating that infrastructure. Like if you think about the money that 100 Thieves and TSM and Team Liquid and all of these other NA teams have spent on facilities, it's fucking outrageous, guys. It is outrageous. Tens and tens of millions of dollars. And Jack has, he doesn't own the, he doesn't own the, the properties, but he's also not chained to them in a, in a highly expensive way, right? He's just been much more conservative in the way that he builds out his team and much more savvy, in my opinion. And he, I mean, he was built for this moment, for sure. Also, if people don't know, at the beginning of the year, even though in Valorant they tried to make like a super team, they had who was the player of the year the previous year, yeah, and then they cut him after like two matches or something, and it was implied part of it was he might have had a massive contract, and so since it just didn't vibe in the team, they just let him go. So it sounds to me like they already made the cuts earlier in the year. Essentially, they just got ahead of it compared to other people. And I'll just throw this in there. Why is that cool to everyone that Giorgio Pion's joining Cloud9? Remember, you already all tell me Berserker's far and away the best player in the LCS, and Blabber as the NA goat. Who's fucking Giorgio Peon? Kevin Durant? Like, Hobby? Why not join a team and beat them? Why you just, you have to just stack the odds. Can't you ever win in normal games? Because here's the other thing. The same Giorgio Peon guy is now going to do Azale level trash talk where he's like, lol, EU sucks. Carry me again, please, fucking 1v9 Korean botlet. Give me a fucking break, you actual rat. We don't do that in Europe. We don't have like fucking ruler and then go, ha, I guess you Americans just suck. Ruler, carry the game. Activate it, rule it. Agent ruler. And they're like, give me a break. 
break, which is it. I have some balls, mate. If you're going to talk shit, actually do something. Be the fucking man. If you if, if you actually had some nuts, by the way, you wouldn't join Cloud9, would you? You'd have gone and joined, like, fucking NRG or something. Or Fly fucking Golden. Yeah, FlyQuest <laughs> would be a classic one. They're right at the bottom of the table. Join them, pair up, see what you can do, get back to the top. The, by the way, the other one, obviously, is the rumor that, like, Vulcan rejoins for support. That just seems like a slam dunk at this point in time. Why wouldn't you do that is the obvious yep. question, right? Just yep. seems obvious to do. Yeah, and uh, uh, clearly because uh, the FlyQuest experiment of this year didn't work out, there's not too many pieces that FlyQuest has in place right now. You know, they're having to rebuild with Inspired and Bwipo ostensibly. They've got a a young and -and up-and-coming AD carry, but if you have the opportunity to join a core of Blabber, Berserker, and Jojo uh, Jojo Pian, I think you just absolutely do it as Vulcan. Like, there's, there's not really a question. So if you notice, Monty, that is actually one thing that these orders just allow plebs to think. Because Vitality does it all the time, mate. They just let fans think they pay top dollar for every single player and everyone has the highest salary. It's not even vaguely true, by the way. Like, I've, like for real, I've heard there's times where people have joined teams like Vitality and G2 and CSGO and taken a pay cut because maybe actually their team, they were the one big dog and they got paid like, you know, $38,000 a month. And maybe you joined Vitality and look, you don't go down much, you get 25k a month. But like the point is you do it to get a better team so cloud nine has always operated within that gray area of letting the fans think but they've got the best team so they must overpay like spoiler do you guys really think fudge and zven were getting anything close to the maximum code of course they aren't like for almost certainly they're the ones that you just skimp on and then you spend the money on berserker and on blabber and do you think mns the backup mid- i'm just pointing this out because everyone forgets this one dude he wasn't even the starting mid laner they had that fucking diplex guy from germany the backup mid laner who comes from the rls do you think he was getting like a fucking Jensen contract like spoiler when they they essentially already told you explicitly the only reason they didn't re-sign Jensen is because it just costs too much like he wants to collect sort of the old contracts he used to get because obviously look at the career he's had he's only trying to get the back now and he saw I, I don't think people get it cloud nine actually like like everyone else for the lineup they had did a pretty good job probably min max and i imagine look at the, like they didn't work out but there's a world where they won both splits like it, it, yep. it, was, it wasn't a bad effort better than eg <laughs> Yeah, you know, there are a lot of other extenuating circumstances around EG, which I'm sure you guys all know at this point in time. Uh, By the way, as the years go on, I will also leak some amazing, like, back behind the so- behind the scenes stories. But I'll have to let a bit of time pass before I can give you some more of the juice. Because more, if people don't know, basically loads of the other execs are all fired at EG and everything's getting caught. And that's why, like, all the teams are getting wrecked in the salary negotiation. So basically, there's some, like, insane shenanigans behind the scenes. But it'll have to wait a little while. It'll come out eventually. <laughs> it'll come Don't out. Worry. It'll come out. Uh, venture capitalists do not invest their own money. They raise funds from institutional investors, LPs. That stands for limited partners, guys, and invest on their behalf for a fee. Among the biggest allocators to VC are Middle Eastern slash Chinese sovereign wealth funds. As such, why do you think people think VC is clean money? Well, it's not a lot of the time. Uh, is, is one layer of abstraction enough, especially when VCs don't typically disco- disclose their LP base? This is by design, by the way, right? This is by design because... These companies understand that certain founders who are accepting venture capital would not accept certain kinds of money. So it's a way for people that might be turned down otherwise to silently invest in up and coming companies and make money off of them when there might be ethical qualms otherwise. Right. Um, It's not as direct Right. I do think it is cleaner because at the end of the day, you don't end up with the Saudi sovereign wealth fund literally on your board. Right. They, they, 
it's the oftentimes it's the venture capital fund that has seats on your board and they're going to have a lot of different interests across a variety of different companies um and while they will have the fund's goal at heart of making money there's not going to be weird a venture capital fund is not going to put pressure on you to behave or say things in a certain way because they can't they can't say oh you can't say bad things about the saudi government because it would it would imply that their secret limited partners are in fact the saudi government right so it's not it's not exactly the same they have less control that's my thought on that uh here's a csgo question or cs oh god I, i'm gonna say that until the end of time cs2 question cs question twist is rumored to lease phase after close to three years winning cologne katowice the intel grand slam and the major during that time, Phase won six tournaments for which Rain won two HLTV MVP MVPs, Rops won two MVPs, and Brokey won one MVP, leaving Twist as the only non-IGL player to not win an MVP and was second in the MVP running only once in Katowice 2022 when he was really close to the rest of the team for second place. What does this tell us about Twists? Was he underutilized? Did he underperform? Or is he overrated? Or is he washed? Right. The, technically, he could have won when they won Cologne, the MVP, if he did that thing where the winning team has to have it. But the problem is Simple, who lost the final, was just mega in the tournament, so he got the MVP for that one. The problem is, basically, the reason why he brings up this question is because since he's the only North American player in the team, Monty, and he used to be in Team Liquid, where the other star player was Elish, people tried to do that thing where they ignore how they play and they just go, but Twists has won two Grand Slams and a major, and Elish only won one Grand Slam. And what they ignore is this. I will, it's a, I've got a whole episode. You can go look it up. Uh, that was an episode of um, Snake and Banter that me and Maui did discussing this topic, Elise versus Twists. The small summary is this. If you just look who was the star player, overall, I think Elise was the better player. So the problem here is when you are, like you say, the third or fourth best player on a championship winning team, right? You did win the tournament, but as the third or fourth best player, you can't then go to the best player of a team that didn't win and go, you didn't win, but I did. It's like, you didn't owe me. By that logic, you didn't win anything. You you helped another guy beat him. So in this scenario, my problem basically is, I think Lord's the same thing happened with Stewie 2K. Stewie 2K was like a middle of the pack player when Cloud9 won the major. And then in theory, he was the fourth best player on Team Liquid that won the Grand Slam. But because then he had a major and a Grand Slam, people like Launders were like, that means he must be the GOAT of NA. And it's like, no, no, that means he's the best at roster moves, you idiot. Like, that's not how that works for the GOAT. To be the GOAT, you're the best when you win the fucking championship. That's why you're the GOAT. Because otherwise, you wouldn't be the greatest of all time. So basically, the problem is, Twists is a very good North American player. And at times, he might have been the best North American player. But I do think this phase period has actually you just shown that when you're not the best you have to learn to be a role player like we were talking about with Faker and T1 and that's how you can then win championships it's a different way of winning you're not competing against the same people in the same way as when Dupree just won the CSGO major even though he has five majors not a single human in the world says he's the GOAT in fact people even think his former teammate Device is the GOAT over him because he was the carry of most of the majors so it's just one of those examples of where if people only use accomplishments you'll overrate a player in my opinion I think actually him going back to liquids more spicy maybe on liquid he can pop off and be the star player again and he can maybe maybe they can even win something that team looks like quite an interesting lineup in 2016 i remember monty praising peanut for his jungle performance in an lck series if i remember correctly had taken all jungle camps before the jungler had taken one or something similar to that i do remember that series what series was this if you can remember i do not remember the exact series but i do remember that happening 
Uh, are there any modern LOL examples of this level of domination in game? Uh, the last one I can think of was the the semifinal between T1 and Dom Juan when Canyon completely shit on Peanut in the early game in the Nidalee Hecarim matchup. That was the last time I think I saw at in like an important game something that that was that dominant. Hilariously, Genji won that game five and then went to the finals because Nidalee was a dog shit pick at the time and getting ahead didn't end up matter if you get caught out one time. Um, but that was that was a crazy dominant early game. I would also say the match where set played or Faker played set mid. Uh, I think it was it was in the Bulldog uh, this year where they had that incredibly clean first fifteen minutes of the game where he repeatedly like dove the bot turret was an unbelievable display of early game dominance uh, this year from T one. So a couple for you there. Thoughts on Foucault, Deleuze, or contemporary French philosophy as a whole? Do you have any opinions on this, Thorin? I don't, don't care. I have the oldest people of cancer from the little town. <laughs> um, so I've read Foucault. I've read. I've read Deleuze. I've I've read Baudrillard and some of the other. Like I think Thousand Plateaus by Deleuze and Guattari is extremely interesting. Um, I think that a lot of these philosophers make me hate living. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of post-modernity and I'm not a fan of their intellectual exercises with simulations and the nature of reality. While I find it intellectually interesting, I think it strips a lot of the meaning out of human existence and is somewhat nihilistic at its core. So they're brilliant and I find them engaging but i i have not been i do not think that they enrich my existence if if I, so that's that's my take i haven't read any foucault in a very long time though not since i was in college uh reflecting on nearly 10 years of si how would you describe the degree of influence you had on each other's career for monty what percent influence did you have on thorin living in korea and Thorin, what percent influence did you have on Monty buying the Renegade CS team? Was there ever a butterfly effect moment that meant the partnership may not have happened? Uh, I mean, he was a. I can I can say he was a huge effect on me buying that particular roster because there were other options at that time, and I certainly asked him what he thought was the most promising roster, including, by the way, the flip side roster was simple weirdly at the time was one that that was also kind of on the table and available for purchase, but went after the Australian Vox Vox Eminor uh, roster instead. Um, I don't know. Did I have any influence on you living in Korea? Uh, I mean, in theory, yeah, because if I hadn't have come the first time when we did the OGN one, I probably wouldn't have then decided to like try living there. It's not like you told me to do it, but it's more like there's people that I knew there that sure. can help with like getting set up and all that shit. And then also at the time, like, I mean, it's part of why you were there. Well, Korea was still the mecca of esports at that time. Like it was the place to be. It was the happening place. So to some degree, yeah. I would say it's more stuff like um, that we did this talk show. Like this talk show, the joke of our company is essentially it's all just versions of this talk show with different hosts and it's the same concept <laughs> iterated out, isn't it? And I do think actually the way we've done this talk show is still mega underrated. Like remember, 
this started in 2014. Like, we've essentially done it the whole time, Joe Rogan style, without, like, set times and set topics and without, like, a need to, like, oh, got to stop now and hit this thing. Like, no, we've always done it, like, free form, which if people don't know, everyone told you not to do that in esports. Everyone claimed, you know, you should do it an hour and you should keep it strict and you should have the guest so he's only on the... Like, people used to, for real, complain that we didn't ask the guest a question within the first five minutes. Like, they couldn't handle, essentially. Remember that thing where they used to go mental? I didn't have, like, a closer to the episode. So these <laughs> idiots want to sit through the credits to the end of a TV show. Like, I can't conceive of that, but why I had to learn was they could only process things in a certain way they used to it being packaged as. So I think we did actually, like, break a lot of the rules and influence esports. from. The- so if we didn't do some of the insight or if it died after, like, four episodes, I think our careers would be pretty different. I mean, I'd, yeah. by the way, I probably wouldn't do talk shows. I'd, I'd probably just do solo videos and CS events or something, you know. Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, obviously, like I would, I, I think we both would be doing something different at this point in time, rather than trying to get LFN work to work. Um, but is there a butterfly moment that meant the partnership may not have happened? Not, I would say What's not really, because like it, it felt kind of inevitable in a way, because we had similar perspectives on the kind of content that we wanted to make in terms of a talk show, and the industry is small. And also, we would have met each other at some point in time anyway, and we have a great personal relationship. And it seems like we're both driven to make content regularly and always make I mean, time for it in our schedule. We were even doing it in Overwatch. Like, we would have kept doing that oh, show yeah. in Overwatch if Monty had stayed in Overwatch. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think I, I think it, it did feel kind of inevitable as long as we were both active within the scene that something like this would occur. Like I told you, though, Monty, I've mentioned this on a past episode because the statute of limitations passed out. The real butterfly effect was the other way where we worked together even more. Like if either <laughs> Flashpoint had succeeded or good old Carmack had ever tried to hire me to IEM, that could have been the game changer. Imagine there's somebody inside desks, points. Well, That's imagine, what you missed. Ima- exactly. Imagine if, if Riot had given me co-straining privileges. <laughs> In many ways, unfortunately, by not actually including us, our enemies have made us more dangerous because now we just focus on things where we have the freedom to co- criticize them completely. It's like they yeah, don't the understand. It actually would help them if we core streamed the games, yes. wouldn't it? Because on the core stream, we yes. couldn't be as critical as we are on the short. Yes. Too. Yeah. It's actually mad, isn't it? They, they never will figure that one out. And, and also, you know, we probably would be less critical of them on our non non you know, co-streaming content oh. because we want to keep yeah. the co-streaming rights. Instead, they just let us go. We have a massive shows that hundreds of thousands of people watch and they have no control. Uh, they're very short-sighted. They're very short-sighted. I, I, I think they might try a, a carrot approach at some point in time because the stick approach has been a fucking disaster for them. Uh, now that enough time has passed by and you were coaching CLG during the Korean boot camp, how well did Doublelift and Aframu, aka Rush Hour, fare against Samsung White's legendary bot lane of Imp and Mata and the other Korean bot lanes? It wasn't so much that they were getting clapped in lane, although they did occasionally get clapped in lane, um, especially by Samsung White, if I recall correctly. I remember there was one scrim where Mata was playing Thresh and it was a total nightmare. Um, but it was mostly the macro play. It was like once you got past the laning phase, they were so much more advanced in terms of their jungle pathing and ganking and vision control that and objective control that it was just lights out. So most games ended very quickly, but it it did get out of the laning phase uh, a lot of the time. Choice among evils. Assuming Monty will kill his parent or spouse or kid if they act like Nick Fury from Secret Invasion, even if the stakes was lowered to 
to a country and assuming Thorin will do the opposite if it was his blood. Okay, so this is uh, jumping out from a previous question. Does that make you two enemies in a way? <laughs> from watching lots of dramas, usually the solution is Thorin, a.k.a. enemy spy, long lost dad, sacrifices himself and everyone else lives. So I think this was, we were talking about some okay. theoretical situation where... I guess I would kill my parent or spouse or kid if they tried to like sell out the world, in this case, a country, oh, okay. and that you would sell out the country <laughs> if it was your blood. I don't know if I would react that way, but in a theoretical universe, um, potentially. Do, does it make us enemies? I don't think so. <laughs> the problem he had there was he almost made it work, but he needed to connect how we would be opposite sides of some scenario, but he didn't really do that, did he? Because in this scenario, right. think about it, right? If Monty chooses to kill his relative and I don't kill my relative, but how have we interacted there? It's not right. like Monty has a choice to kill my relative. Like, that, but then in that it's scenario, like we both have to kill our thing. relative yeah. in order. It was, it's, it's like if we both had to kill a relative in order to yes. save something, right? Like if we both anything, you have to make somebody. it the other way around. Like Monty has to apply the same logic and kill my family, but then I spare his, so then I have to kill Monty, obviously, because <laughs> listen, that's just the way it goes at that point in time. You know? <laughs> Again, go with Tribe overall. That would that would be a good movie, by the way. That would be a good movie. <laughs> what like movie? Face Off. <laughs> what, version. What, what movie remake would you do with today's technology? I mean, you face can off add one scene. I just it, right? Face off. Imagine with modern tech. That could be amazing. That could be sick. <laughs> what movie would I remake today? Remake with today's technology. That one's kind of hard because I feel like a lot of movies are such products of their time. Like you didn't actually attempt movies that you didn't have the technology for. And a lot of practical effects look really good. And CGI, as we learned from the original Star Wars trilogy, actually made it look worse. Yeah, um, if you notice, the, the biggest problem here is a pleb would almost certainly pick something, Monty, that is, like you say, loads of like prosthetics and real life props. But the joke is, I actually think most movie aficionados know that like you wouldn't want to make like tan bandits with CGI. It'd actually be shit, no. wouldn't it? I mean, it would just bring you out of it completely. So that, I mean, it's actually a hard one to pick from. Like, I'm actually thinking it's not an effects one. I think you maybe go with like, you know, maybe you just want to use like modern actors or something. That would be the only angle I can think of. Yeah, it's, it's with today's technology, though, is the question. That's why I'm thinking. About. I don't know, man. I mean, put it this way, a lot of, like, film noirs would be better because they wouldn't have, like, that cardboard set in the background, you know. <laughs> they wouldn't be driving where sure. it's just, like, the rear projection and all that. You know, you Ca can get rid Casa, of a lot of the, the Casablanca stuff. might be a better movie. Like, Casablanca was kind awesome, of, like, yeah. low budget. It's still a great movie, uh, but Casablanca might be an interesting one. But then they would fill it full of like action sequences and other bullshit. So and also, the they do something like when he walks in, it'd just be like Adele playing or something like, oh, bloody hell, this song. Uh, you know, they just ruin it like that, wouldn't they? Paul references Play it. And Sam. like Sam and Peg would be in it for no reason. Rolling in the yeah, deep. Of <laughs> and also, there's the other thing, Monty. During the movie, they'd all be turning and making fucking like Joss Whedon Marvel level quips to each other, like, oh, well, bloody hell, what's she doing with the resistance? Oh, I wouldn't put up much resistance against her. <laughs> and it's like you'd be ruining the whole vibe of the fucking movie why is every movie that now is there not any serious movies anymore the fuck? <laughs> do you think Azale should tweet this is the most confident he's ever been sending NA to worlds or retro or worlds retroactively in light of energy's win or is he had yeah. enough <laughs> 
The sad thing is he's never going to have enough. Like, here's the sad thing. <laughs> Even though I do, I, I'll give props, actually. I did think it was quite funny the way they did the skit where he was going to cast the game and then he wasn't because he yeah, never was, yeah, was the whole great. point. That, that was actually well executed. That was good. But the problem with that is, like, I, I almost want to tell him this, Monty. You know when he keeps making this narrative that goes, you know, NA never wins series if I'm casting them. That's because NA doesn't win series, bro. Am I the only one missing something? Like, how many of the others have, like, I think Corby was like, yeah, and then I, I casted these four. They did, what, forever? Haven't you been here since season one? Like, bro, at this point, the sample size is so small, no one's casting wins this, but you know what I mean? Like, so I, I, I do think, though, it, it, all I'll say is this, Monty, it is a little bit too on the nose that when they said he should retroactively say this is the most confident, that's not even totally implausible that it could be a tweet, if you know what I mean. As in, it, no, you'd phrase it like, you know, I actually had sort of a sneaky suspicion maybe NRG could get it. Like, that is sort of like what he would tweet, though. You are right. You've sort of nailed his style. Like, even though it is sort of like, let's be real, it's mad disingenuous, but whatever. It's just what it is. It's what it is, boys. It's I, his I, character at this point in time, you know. I, I just love that the LCS casters like Kobe have now signed up for like a a decade of just coming back to the trough full of shit and taking another mouthful is just for a decade straight. Especially was... Monty. The joke is they just do the reverse of your <laughs> shirt pull. What they do is they go, no, no, I'm obviously not an idiot, so I'm supporting, you know, like G2 or like, you know, fucking Weibo Gamer or something. And then what, the second NA starts winning, they're like, no, 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 look, look, it's under here. It's under here. And then they've got like the fucking stars and stuff. Like, I was an NA fan all along, all along. It's like, then they do that. They just do the reverse Monty, basically. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I just can't understand the mindset of some of these casters where they're, they're just, they literally spent 10 years of their life doing this. Oh, it's mad. Like, uh, you have to die knowing that you spent 10 years casting the LCS. What the fuck, man? Why would you live your life like that? <laughs> You're just stuck in Los Angeles, not learning anything about any other cultures. This is outrageous. <laughs> just leave. Holy moly. Yikes. Why do CS names have way more numbers in them than league players? I have no idea. You don't know the answer. Nobody knows the answer to that question. <laughs> And More... also, there's a lot of like Chinese players in league at loads of names. Like Knight used to have Knight Nine or whatever the fuck it was. Three Six Nines, all numbers. So I don't know if that's even true. Who knows? I think for real, he's just thought of simple and gone. Well, case closed. Like so. Anyway, <laughs> next question. Imagine instead of being a CS clone, Valorant is an FPS game featuring league ADCs with all their weapons and abilities intact. Would this be inherently be a better game, but perhaps less popular? Ah, oh, Jesus. Here's the problem with that one team. <laughs> I don't think it really makes sense, but it almost sounded like something that could get through a board meeting in Riot HQ. <laughs> Someone was like, here's the thing, though, guys. What we do is it's not CS, though. We're not copying. You know how, like, ADCs, the marksmen, as we call them. I'm sure this is a conversation. I'm 100% sure this is a conversation What if it's, like, five marksmen ADCs? You know, you can have a team comp. It's like Senna with Aphelios, and then Zeri's <laughs> there, too. And then they're like, oh, good crossover appeal. You know, like, oh, you can imagine the marketing goons just loving that idea. They would do it. Riot would look at least consider that idea at least consider it wouldn't they it's so and would it would it be a better game no probably not, probably not. <laughs> because that's, you wouldn't know by the way the real joke i mean i actually nailed this eight years ago you know what i said to me Valorant was never the cs killer it was the overwatch killer like you even look there's even loads of overwatch players have been on all the last few oh, years yeah. are starting to drift over as overwatch league dies like the real point is the fun thing about valorant is the overwatch concept of you have a bit of like the raw skill can make different things happen but then you have this moba team fight element and abilities which is a totally different way of thinking there's none of that in cs like cs 
this is a totally different set of a game. In fact, I'll even give you an angle you might be you might like, which is supposedly Chopra told me this. One of the casters of the Korean um, Valorant tournament it actually is some guy who was either like a League or a StarCraft pro monty. I think it might have been StarCraft or something. And supposedly he even said on broadcast that the weirdest thing to him about Valorant is when he plays a game like StarCraft, because obviously the, the troops to some degree micro themselves, he said you always kind of know the equation, like, you know, like like four hydralisks beats, you know, X amount of Marines or whatever, right? But he said the problem in Valorant is because like raw precision and skill mean the person can do a shot that's like 10 times better than someone else. You never do know who wins the fight. And so to Koreans, they actually don't like Valorant in the game in that sense. So to me, that's why it's a totally different game. It's like not really dissimilar at all. So I think it does have a place. It's just, it's not for me, is it? It's obviously for like Zoomers who don't play Overwatch anymore. <laughs> as I can tell. <laughs> not for me either. Do you think Riot will alter the world's format for next year or will have to wait 10 years for them to invent a better one? This is better than previous years, but there is a very real possibility that a team could be in the playoffs without playing any of the other eight playoff teams. <laughs> I mean, it's really bad that Weibo's in semis, given their record. Um, and I don't, I do not think they're going to change the world's format because they have a giant boner for changing cities every week instead of running a good format. I, I don't know why this is the case. Maybe maybe MasterCard fucking demands this shit. I don't know. It is it is baffling to me, however. What superhero the air miles? <laughs> so the air miles. What superhero duo or individual superhero is most like Monty and Thorin? I'm gonna go Night Owl and Rorschach. <laughs> okay. I almost say I'm Rorschach in this analogy. Yes, obviously. The premise. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> uh who could it be i don't know what my superhero i'm I'm not a i'm not a big superhero fan i don't know what my my superhero analogy is yeah let me think what would you pick for that i guess like marvel odin maybe <laughs> don't know Get off of that one. <laughs> if you could pick any esport event story to make a big budget movie out of, what would you choose? Who would you choose to be the director and what actors could play Monty and Thorin? Um, so what esport event story would we make a, a, a big blockbuster budget Hollywood film about? Ooh. Because the thing is, to me, if you're not doing a documentary, you're actually doing a real movie. It should be about the drama and the theatricality of it. You know, it should essentially be like, it's not just like the best team. We're going to pick someone where it's like, I, I mean, the obvious one to me would be something like, uh, do a story about like, I don't know, the G2 2019 team or something. I'm sure there was some spicy shit going on there. It's, it's an interesting angle. They beat all the Koreans, etc. It'd have to be something like that, I feel like. <laughs> which actors would play us? I actually don't. Wh which actors would play us? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, in your case, you could probably have that fucking Timothy Chalamet cunt or whatever. You could probably, if you cut his hair, he could look like all young Monty. the young one, the little one, just give him a little cut. I think that could work. Obvious joke is I would just be played by that guy at Game of Thrones, the fucking guy who's from North of the Wall or whatever, when I had to be him. Because yep. it would be me in my prime with the coat on, you know, the big beard. So it could be that guy. I, I, I no think one knows the... his name. The 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 savior rise and fall movie would be an epic an epic drama as well. That'd be a good one. The yeah. the savior the savior movie would be actually crazy. Um, very very interesting to kind of go behind behind the curtain with that one from his like 
insane genius, uh, doing things nobody had done before, hit the top, his crazy drinking and partying down to the gambling scandal that landed him in prison. Uh, that's a pretty epic one. I mean, the thing is, to me, the artistic license you could take with that is what would make it so good. If people don't know, it would be like one of the all-time great stories of, like, excess and people who won, but that made them actually fuck their life up. Because as far as I can tell, if you listen to some of the stories that leaked out publicly and privately, the whole thing is, just like his style in the game was that I'm the mastermind and I can always win no matter what scenario I'm in. And even if I'm in a tough spot, I'll figure a way out of it. He was living his life that way. Like, by the end, I heard he was just never practicing and he was just basically for real doing that shit where you're just getting drunk and just waking up all hungover and then you're going in and playing the game but sometimes you still win anyway and you're like ah fuck it lol who cares he was on some like rock and roll shit so like that would essentially the amount like if you had some like a really good script writer you could make a lot out of that in terms of artistic license you could maybe tie it into some shit when he I don't know when he was a kid what happened with his family or something there's so many ways you could make that be a baller story that's not just about playing video games is it like it'll be about excess and success and what it means to be a genius character who everyone tells you you're a genius 24-7 and then you just think you can get away with anything can't you because actually has so much so many layers stacked into that one yeah is riot forcing their broadcast to make shitty historical points during analysis and cast fanatic versus weibo game jat was saying fanatic is clutch as they went oh four in 2018 they got out of groups with a tiebreaker i don't know if he said that or not We'll just pretend that, is, though, that That is one of the number one things they do that I can't handle, Monty. They do that thing where they talk like Fnatic from 2017 is in any context this Fnatic. That's yeah, none of the exactly. same play. They well, do the, that. They act like the Because I noticed that when G2 was beaten by NRG, they did the same thing on the cast. They said NRG has beaten the greatest team Europe ever produced. <laughs> right. They just said that out loud. Like, it's all that team <laughs> makes any sense whatsoever. Like... I don't know what, by the way, that to me, I don't know. Here's the thing. Even in, as far as I know, they don't even do that nowadays in American sports ball. Imagine beating the Niners being like, they're beating the greatest franchise in the history. What are you talking about? Like that was 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's, it <laughs> is outrageous. I mean, the, the rest of the question is there are zero players from 2018 in this fanatic. Does the Jersey color give clutchness? What is the correct way to apply historical context on broadcast? I mean, this irks me in all sports, you know, talking about a franchise's history, um, really only matters as far as the ownership is concerned. And because obviously if you're a great owner on a team, sometimes you can have a multi-decade effect on, on the, the team's culture and the decisions that are made. Um, but you do have to really consider that context. And especially in League of Legends, it doesn't even make sense because the only thing that is the same about Fnatic is literally Sam Matthews. So unless you're going to say Sam Matthews is responsible for their clutchness, and God forbid in that G2 example you gave, Thorne, that they would say Carlos was responsible, like Carlos made the team, uh, right? Um, it, it doesn't make any sense, right? You have to pick out individual players or coaches um, and then provide the proper context for them. But it does just tilt me when you pretend you basically are just, you know, stealing glory from other rosters and then applying that, you know, you're allowing teams to steal glory from the past, which is fucking weird. <laughs> it's very fucking weird. Okay. Um, and I don't know why why people bring it up. I would never do I I would and have never done that. I don't understand why it's so hard just to talk about the context of what's happening in front of you and leave the irrelevant historical details behind. Surely you I mean, can fill up 60 is, seconds with something interesting. 
it, I'll just say it outright. It's not right as far as I know, Monty, because I've seen too many people who now have the agency to do what they want. Like, you just listen to one chat. I'll give you other ones, Sharks. These people definitely have the leeway to make their own narratives or to decide what oh, level we're driving in. The problem is those people do appear to actually buy into that as a, a legitimate way of doing analysis. Like, as far as I can tell, they really do think, Monty. I think it's a flaw of the fact that there's not enough sample size in League of Legends, so they think that, like, a one split storyline isn't as important so what they try to do is bundle together like you say like four or five years of t1 or g2 or Fnatic or cloud nine and act like it's a coherent story and then use elements of that to talk about this one the problem is i think they do it too ham-fisted like they really do make it sound like g2 did beat T1 that was the world champion, not a different T1 with Faker. Like, the problem is, I think essentially they just misuse it. Like, I don't hate it as a reproach. If you made it more like, you know, and Fnatic has produced a lot of squads over the years that have had a clutch factor to them, like, maybe there's something there, but I, they always make it sound like it just is the same team. And I've always thought that's a disingenuous part to me, you know. Yep. Do you think that there has been an increase in roster changing and that has been a factor in the NA viewership decline? In the past, it felt like teams had a consistent face, but with new teams coming in and legacy teams, it seems like there is no brand or consistent roster and therefore no reason to follow the teams or the players. I think for you know most... what I love about this? It's never, it was never, these are the narratives that people make up post hoc yeah. that were never the case. Here's all it was, Monty. It, it was, was just three people. It, it was, was Jensen, Bjergsen, and Double. If that was yep. it, as long as they <laughs> stayed on the same team for like two years, it feels like we had a face because they were the best players. But when they move, oh, it feels like madness. It, all that's happened is those players just either out the best or they move teams, didn't they? Like to me, everyone, the, the silliest thing about League is like, Here's what's sad. I actually think you've painted yourselves into a corner with the league format because since in a year, you only get to play two splits and two international tournaments max, Monty. Well, the problem is a year is the life of a CSGO roster. But in that time, you'll play like 15 lands or 12 lands and maybe one or two majors and a bunch of different tournaments. So it just feels like, right, well, they had their run. In league, you you feel like if, it, like for example, if JDG breaks up now, you'll feel like, oh, what if though? So the problem is, I think the format doesn't ever make you feel like it, it lived long. So that's why people want, like, they want it to be like 1980s basketball, Monty, where, like, you're just still on the same team for the whole decade. You know what I mean? Like, you play there. The problem is that's not really how esports seems to work. Like, we're way more accelerated than that, you know? Well, it's it also, I think, it, why would this cause a decline in, in NA as opposed to Europe or, or Korea or China? We've seen plenty of roster moves in those crazy regions. Look at it. Basically, think about it. Even G2 retooled every single player except fucking... I mean, Mickey X came back. That's it. Yeah. It's just caps. They're all yeah. gone. Like, if anything, Europe has higher viewership and we've, we've shuffled everyone, haven't we? Think about LCK. The only constant has been faker. Team players, legendary yeah. players move in and out of Korea and China, depending yeah. on the year. they move. How many teams has BDD been on? I don't even fucking know. Like, all Lords. of them? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and yet it, it, people people don't want to people don't want to admit to the real the real issue here. The reason why NA viewership has gone down is there is no more delusion that NA is good. People could buy into the personalities and believe in the early days the lies that were told to them by Reginald that LCS like an NA team was going to win worlds. But as dominance grew and grew and grew, you know, it, it, it's just. It's not it's not that people are changing. There's just 10 varieties of gruel in the LCS and you can eat a feast in other leagues of much more interesting content. So when you give the audience 10 kinds of gruel and they could go to the next restaurant a door over and eat 
a, a seafood buffet, guess which one they're going to fucking pick, right? Like, what what does LCS have going for it? Am I missing something? What 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 value does well, it provide to me? The only thing they think it has is they like some of the talent, right? Even then, I think that's misuse. Like, I know you can't make the time zones work, but the idea that you don't, like, at least take their talent and have them double up and do, like, why don't they have an LCK Western broadcast money that is Captain Flowers and Kobe and chat? Like, wouldn't all these NA fans be loving it? You all tell me you think they're the goats, so why not have them do an awesome broadcast? A bit like in America, you can watch the broadcast of, like, the Premier League, but you have, like, your own people who are, like, a fucking your own student your team or whatever don't yeah. yeah i riot made the mistake of oversaturating professional league of legends so they created so many different options of professional league of legends you could watch all of which are better than the lcs and then they're like why is lcs viewership going down hmm when you make when you make a bunch of other english broadcasts and every other english broadcast has better games i wonder what's going to happen Maybe they should just cut all the other English broadcasts. That would probably actually do something for LCS. Oh, but I did. <laughs> I actually think that might do something. Uh, every world's discussion on caster bias comes up. In your opinion, what's the right amount of bias? For instance, do you see any drawbacks or positives for talent being open of the or fans of the regions on there? Yeah, of course I do. Homer broadcasts can be really fun a lot of the time, uh, especially, you know, in local languages and, and stuff like that. I don't think it's unfair to have bias within the broadcast. Now, obviously, you shouldn't try to be biased in your analysis, but especially on the desk, it's very entertaining. Right. Bias on the desk is fun because you can actually have debates and like get into it with people uh, on. You're trying to be, you know, fair on the broadcast to both teams. But uh, having a little emotion, I think, makes it more human. I don't really see it as a problem. The real joke is this is actually something where you guys asking the questions don't know. You live within Anglo culture and it is the water and you are a fish who isn't aware you're in water because this concept doesn't even exist anywhere else in the world. Do you think they're having a discussion now about whether the Chinese broadcast is too biased to the Chinese players? Do you think in Korea they're losing one second sleep about whether they overhyped fake? No, the whole point is they, they know that's what I'm here for. That's what I want to see. But you all have this notion of the West. I nailed it a year ago where I said we've never had an international broadcast. It's the LCS broadcast of Worlds with occasional LEC play people allowed to join in. Like, that's all it is. It's the, no, that's what it should be though because the dickheads watching it, you, do want LEC and LCS to be overblown. You do want to believe that actually Parler Faker can beat fucking Zhao Hu in a best of fight. You want to believe all these things. So I actually think it's perfectly logical they do that. My problem is just when they do it in a whack way. Like, I don't like, as I say, when any analysts want simultaneously the cashier of, of course, I'm not predicting any to win. But then when they win, oh, I believed all that. Well, you didn't know, did you? Like, you can be ride or die and do it. Like, look, I'm obviously, like, if people don't know, when Yanko was considered the best analyst in CSGO, his friend Nico, by the way, by the way, originally wasn't even in bloody phase. He was in mouse spots, mate, which was like the 11th best team. And every single time, Monty would always predict they would win the game. But he would do it and obviously say, because my mate plays for them. Like, essentially, I don't think predictions mean anything. So I'll give you the real analysis of the game. Here's why they'll lose. And then for the prediction, I'm picking them to win. That's fine because it's totally consistent, like you say. It's actually, it, once you even know that's part of his character, it becomes part of like essentially the persona of Yanko. You know, right? Even if he analyzes the game, he's always going to side with Nico. It makes it an angle to have. So I don't have a problem with any of that shit. I think it's totally fine. In fact, I think the stupidest notion ever, it's, it's one thing for casters, but when they imply analysts shouldn't be biased, 
by definition, dickhead, an opinion is biased because to have an opinion, you would have to evaluate and determine certain things are better than others. In other words, you have a bias towards certain metrics and all of analysis is actually giving opinions. Even if part of it looks like you're breaking the game down, you're breaking it down according to your principles of the game. Right. That's why Monty will sometimes think a team is better, whereas maybe someone else who only likes, I don't know, mechanics might think a different team is better than them. He is evaluating different things. It's why Monty thinks like Peanut is amazing, whereas other people are just like, he's not even doing anything on Poppy because he's evaluating different criteria. He's evaluating things like team effect or shot calling. So to me, it's like there should everything should be by opinion. It's just point is, this this is the problem. It's like jokes. I don't think there's actually truly jokes that like you shouldn't be allowed to make. My argument is just always, is it funny though, mate? You know what I mean? Like the problem, the real sin of doing an offensive joke isn't that it's offensive. It's if it's offensive and it wasn't funny for anyone. That's when it becomes a sin, if you know what I mean. Like it has no value at that point in time, does it? So be biased, but make it part of the broad, make it good. Be biased in a way that's fun. Like, by the way, who the fuck doesn't like it? Like I've had pro players tell me this so many times in CSGO privately. You think they don't love in a way that I, if I pull against them and that they beat me, that's like an extra reason them and their fans are loving that they be, they won the tournament. It's just a normal, we won the tournament. It's like, and you know, the odds were against us and you said we couldn't do it. That becomes part of the cool storyline. It actually becomes part of the show. So now I think it's perfectly fine. For casters, in my opinion, I want your enthusiasm and, and like passion for the game. So all I would say is this. The, but the only way it's inappropriate when you cast the game is if you just intentionally downplay something. As long as, like, it's one thing, if you're the LCS casters and Parla Fox does a move, yeah, of course, hype it up. But don't then pretend that, like, you know, Jahu didn't do a move in that scenario. Like, that's <laughs> all, that, my, my problem is just if you, like, intentionally fuck with the other team. Well, you can be biased towards your team, of course. There's no problem. Also, try and balance out the bias by having casters of different regions so you get There's the infectiousness yeah. from both sides. Which, by the way, Thorin, yeah. I just want to point this out again. Riot... As ever in their That's wisdom. As again, yeah. So here we here we go again. You ready for this, Thorin? Come on. Uh, we almost got. We were very close. We were this close to getting an all LPL semifinals. Do you know how many LPL casters are left to cast semifinals? What is the problem? They're tricking everyone by making it look like Dagda is one, but he's from the LEC Monty. No, it's none, isn't it? Isn't it like none at this point in time? It is zero. And it's not, you know, normally they just cut the casters and like slam yes. somebody on the desk. There's not even anybody on the desk now, guys. There's yep. zero LPL casters on the desk or on the mic during the games for what almost yes. was four Chinese teams and still is three Chinese teams and a guaranteed Chinese team in finals. So... Crack job there, Riot, once again, fucking the fucking the fans for no reason. Just fucking them. Why do you hate your own players? <sighs> They're afraid of a lot of Western League legends. <laughs> what, what are the top what are the <laughs> what are the top tier Korean fried chicken chains? Uh, well, BBQ is pretty good. The the BBQ. BBQ is very good, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's Even really good. It's a popular one. That's that's good. I like that one. Basically, people don't know the stylist I like best of the Korean chicken is where it's not like KFC. It's like the actual like it's not breaded. It's more like it's it's like the skin's just fried, yeah, it's crispy. You know it's I mean? very light. Yeah, it's very it's light that's breading, very better. lightly yeah. like lightly fried. It's not super yes. greasy. It's and uh, BBQ is good. The real though is it's the mom and pop chicken shops in korea man like fuck the chains it's yeah. like the local shops that have been there for like 20 or 30 years um those ones are the real bangers like the there's the basically places. 
I mean, it's the ones that basically just serve beer and chicken, right? Those yeah, are the, the best ones. places. So ch- chicken yeah. and mekju is uh, is beer in Korean. So they slam it together. So chicken mekju is chi mek. Uh, but those are those are the real bangers. Those are the real. Bangers. Only thing is, though, I will advise you: do not go in there as some Westerner and think you can handle the spicy one. When they say spicy, <laughs> you don't even understand what level that could be. Like I've had it before. Where I've had to throw some away because I was just eating fire, mate. Like this is horrible. I'm not sure. Especially, oh, a little bit tickling. No, I think it's just burning. Like I'm just eating. Like, you know, he's also now. he's also British, guys. I can eat those, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. See? <laughs> Uh, on the topic of 90s action movies, what are your thoughts on The Hunt for Red October? Well, that was actually on our list of 90s action movies. I watched it on the plane coming to Korea, actually, again. I fucking love that movie. I, I think that is one of my favorite casting jobs in any film ever. And I think it's amazing. I think it's totally great. Definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. We will do it, I'm sure. At some point, maybe we'll do Cold War movies at some point in time. and It'll show up on that list. I do think it's a pretty good movie, but I do think there is an obvious problem that is being raised over and over again. Look, obviously, we do want people to engage and have comments, so it's all well and good if you suggest movies you think should be in. But people are really doing this thing where either they want one of two things. One, they think we are saying these are the four best movies in this genre, right? The reason that wouldn't be interesting is you've probably seen them all. Think about it. And if they're all just great movies... Like, yeah, there's some value to that, but we're also trying to, like, revisit which movies don't hold up, which yep. ones are considered, like, maybe classics, but aren't actually when you watch them, vice versa. The other thing I'd say as well is this. People also keep doing this thing where it's like, oh, I hope all four movies are four that I've seen. You've missed the point of the series, guys. <laughs> the point of the series also is for ourselves to sometimes watch movies we haven't watched, but to introduce yep. you to movies you haven't watched. So you've probably already seen fucking, like, all the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, right? So there's no point doing Terminator 2 in 90s action. Why don't we do instead, like like we said with Face... Maybe you haven't seen Face Off. That might be a bit more weird for you. Maybe you haven't seen Con Air. They aren't actually as big as Terminator 2, etc. So to me, I, I don't mind people suggesting, but that we, there's a reason it's not the most obvious four names every time. Yeah, I mean, we did From Beyond, which is like super niche in the cosmic horror arc, arc, right? Like we we could have done Alien instead of From Beyond, but we didn't because we figured people had seen Alien. We we do try and like, you know, branch out a little bit more uh, in terms of some of the genres. Although I will say the, you know, film noir and the, the 90s action, we've done some more like bigger ones, but perhaps we'll return to more obscure ones uh, in the future. Do you feel that League of Legends esports prize pools are too small? Uh, no. Where were you the last 20 years? <laughs> I, I don't care about prize pools. I, this is one of the things I actually agree with Riot on. I would rather see that money go to stipends for the teams and stabilize players' careers rather than just have a giant like $18 million TI prize pool. Also, the TI prize pool has been absolutely disastrous for the sta- stability of the Dota scene, so I would not like that in any other esports. Thank you very much. It, to the degree that even Valve is pulling back on it now. I think it's, I think it's terrible. Do you care about prize pools? I mean, I like them to be huge. I think it's awesome that TI meant you could become literally like a millionaire immediately as soon as you won the tournament. Like, that's fucking sick. Because here's the thing. You can't... The one thing they can never say, Monty, is people can't go, oh, I wasn't really trying at that TI. Of course, you were your whole life with us. Like, if you're Arteezy, your whole life was these whatever 11 TIs you played or something. Like, you didn't win them, but that, that's that's unfortunately going to be your legacy. So I like it personally. I think it adds more pressure. Um, 
And that's... I hate communist shit because I hate any scenario where you give people money for doing nothing because, spoiler, some of them will just continue doing nothing. Like, they have no incentive <laughs> to do anything. Like, if you give a whole bunch of teams, as they did, like, more stipend, if you give them, like, 400k a year, some dickheads will just run a roster that's just only on the 400k. Like, they'll, they won't even try. They'll do an Astralis. They'll just phone it in for three years and then sell the team, you know, so... <laughs> I can see why some teams it might benefit. I, I, I just see the negative too much. Do either of you have a favorite Halloween costume from your past? I'm not really big on like doing like crazy outfits or something. So <laughs> I would My always just do. I, I used to do that whack shit where it's like you just wear some stuff like a Bermuda shirt. Like I don't know, I'm some guy out of an 80s move. Right anyway, where's the drink sack? <laughs> I was never really put the effort in, you know. My my mom did some really good ones. I talked about being Spaceman Spiff from Calvin and Hobbes when I was like eight or something like that. Um, my mom did a my mom made me a variety of very good costumes. Uh, at one point, uh, one of my friends and I. So the first line of the Communist Manifesto is a specter is haunting Europe, the specter of capitalism. So he dressed up like Europe with like this ridiculous top hat and monocle and handlebar mustache with like a giant map of Europe. And I dressed up in this like crimson Grim Reaper outfit with like a ghost costume with like a gold hammer and sickle on its back. I thought that one was pretty funny. (laughs) I enjoyed that one. Uh, Thoughts on the NBA having a lock-in tournament now? It's great. They're 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 becoming esports. They're 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 realizing the value of esports formats. We're moving away from boring ass leagues. We finally gotten there. NBA always on the the cutting edge of traditional sports revolutions. The problem the NBA has is, on the one hand, I want them to just keep the exact same regular season, just because it allows you to historically evaluate. Because for example, it's already going to throw everything off in the NFL that you have an extra game now. Like it's going to make the stats all bigger. They're going to break all the records. Like I don't like that angle, but at the same time, I do think playing eighty-two regular season games where a lot of them are semi-meaningless is kind of whack. Like you have to understand, even when it would be like my favorite player. Like maybe my favorite player, I'd watch every game, but some of the other ones you can't. Some of them are just going to be garbage, and you know they are. You know, it's too, it takes too much time. So anything that's a real tournament, at least, is going to be fun. Have you ever been to each other's homes? I.e., has Monty been in Yorkshire or Thorin been to Denver? Like where we're from originally? Well, Thorin's been to Denver. He was at my wedding. That was on camera. <laughs> Monty's <laughs> never been to where I lived in the UK, but no, I, I I have been to other places you have lived, but not to your, like where you're actually from from. Um, and Thorin, to be fair, has never been to actually where I'm from, no, no, which is I not Den- to his which wedding. is not which is not Denver. I'm not actually from Denver. I'm from north of like an hour north, sixty miles yeah. north of Denver. Uh, Sembler has actually been to my hometown <laughs> because he was there uh, in advance of my wedding, just like touring around Colorado oh, okay. and like came up there, uh, for a night and we went, we had, went out and had a few drinks. Uh, for Thorin, do you find interviewing people in person different to doing it remotely? Do you think pros feel more or less comfortable in person or online? Do you feel the same way? Uh, I mean, the thing is, there's a, it's a different set of skills to putting people at ease when you're in, in person. Like, for example, this is one thing I'm actually not a fan of. You know, when they ask like a question in an interview, like after the game and they keep it on the two person shot of the player answering and the person who's um, asking the question. The problem with that is like, so if you watch like Law, for example, when she's doing it, it'll look like really awkward. Like why she's occasionally smile to the camera, but then sometimes she nods and then sometimes she doesn't react. That's all stuff she's doing to make that person feel 
comfortable. She's like vibing off how they're in yeah. the feedback loop. And she, but that's not for you on the camera. So it'll look weird to you. So all I would say is this is in person, you have to do a lot more of that because you're essentially making the, making the person still feel comfortable, know that they can keep talking, that you're responding, that you, that you understand what they're saying. They, I'd say you just have to put more effort into that. I, I, I've done enough of both that I think both can be an equally good interview. I just do think though, you can't really beat um, how good the cameras look when you're in real life. Like if you go to when I joined on gamers and they did those reflections that were with like a two camera setup of me and then the person being interviewed, but like high quality, that was next level. Like if you go watch the one I did with like, I don't know, fucking uh, maybe like Jadong or something like that. If you go watch these ones, like they just look incredible because they're like, what's like to watch you have like a real like 60 minutes of flipping back and forth and high quality image that you can't, like the quality, the substance of the interview can be as good online, but two people in little boxes in an overlay. I think you just don't get the professional sheen of it when it's online. But I do think the interview can be just as good. If you were to go on the British television quiz show Mastermind, what would your specialized subject be? Well, I think this is pretty easy for Thorin. <laughs> Esports history. I mean, the sad thing is, I'd probably have to make it like Counter Strike or something like that, you know, now because obviously they'd get me with like Halo question or some bullshit like that. But like, yeah, if I did like Counter if I did something like Counter Strike or Quake or StarCraft, I reckon I could get a lot. I reckon I could get a lot. Do I, I don't know anybody who would be more qualified than you would be to answer those questions in the world. So <laughs> yeah, seems, it seems like I don't I don't know. I, I don't have to. I actually think unironically, here's a good one for you. Unironically, I actually think, you know, everyone was loving this thing where Doublelift just knew some of his most famous clips ever. Bro, I think I could actually beat an actual pro at questions about their career. There's yes. one for you right there. You I believe pick that one of the best well. pros of all time, and I think I could beat them on questions about that. I could get the years right more. Who they beat in the semi? I think they'd they'd be you'd, you'd be surprised how many of them are all sometimes, over the place. Sometimes Thorin remembers games that I casted better than I remember them. <laughs> it just has an incredible memory. Um, I, so I don't really know what this game show is because I haven't seen it. But... Basically, the premise is like you have a specialist subject and then they really do hit you with hard questions. Or like if you pick, like even if you, like I say, even if you pick eSports, Monty, they won't make all of them like, you know, who, what was the prize at Red Annihilation and Quake in 19, from Thresh? Because that's like too easy. It'll, some of them will be like an insanely hard one. Like, you know, who was runner up in the international in 2014? You know, they'll pick like one we have to go fuck. So essentially, whatever you pick, it's like the title says you have to really really know your shit so is there a subject you could pick aside from I mean, league of legends history yeah probably league of legends history would probably be the, be the best one i would say like the global... thing you'd like to pick though global mythology i could probably do okay at yeah. you know I, I i did study that you know literature and mythology but especially mythology i think i'd, I'd probably be pretty the only thing is like say though they are really good at doing the questions because the problem with that one is like yeah you might get it on like you know the norse pantheon but then they'd be like the wamumame tribe oh yeah you know they'd fuck you like that like, that was yeah, one that's yeah. and, and, and also like i have a very good understanding of mythology but i would get wrecked by like a greek classicist on greek mythology right yeah, because i would. don't have a phd yeah. in the field i have a very good understanding of it but um yeah i think it'd be tough uh, why do you think the skill of pro players falls off so quickly compared to traditional sports athletes? Uh, pace of the game, patches changing is a huge part of it. You you can basically have the same honed skill set in traditional sports for decades. And in esports, the, the developer could just fuck you with a million patches. If you actually yeah, look to at... To me, it's meta-related, right? If, if you look at Brood War... 
it's actually amazing the longevity that some of those Brood War players have oh, had. Oh, for sure. And a lot of it is yeah, because the game hasn't ball. been patched for 20 years. <laughs> Whereas in like League of Legends, it really is just like Faker's sort of deft, maybe Uzi and even he had breaks. You know what I mean? Like the joke is it's just the Western players have the longevity because they're playing worse players. The actual top, top players, it's rare you have like somebody who's the best for two or three years. The difference is you're right in Brood War, you actually, there was like five or six people who could go like 10 years deep on that shit. So I think the problem for me is I, this has always been the biggest mystery about esports because you get people where you know that you could measure their reaction time. It's the same, but they're half as good at the game. My sense is this. First of all, I think it's a total myth when people imply, like, it's just a game you play with your mind. There's nothing to do with your hands. Like, clearly, the hands are important. But to me, I think it's almost like... Um, it's almost like your feel for the game, which obviously is massively related to the meta. That feels like it's the most important thing. Because I've seen people in Counter-Strike Monty who I didn't see in him, but they just lost that feel. Like they just, something like they didn't, they didn't not understand when to make the move, when not to, when to play. And so something about like essentially being attuned to what the current meta and like the ways of playing the game are feel like they're the most important things, you know? Yeah, and and the feel of most traditional sports doesn't change that much. And to be fair, the feel of Counter Strike has changed less than many other games. Uh, it has to be said. But even so, those patches and the way that the game moves, I also frankly think it's just a money issue. I think that as you get older, you naturally want to expand your interests or have a family or have different kinds of relationships. And if you're in the NBA and you're Kobe. You have the money to practice all the time and still like at least support your family or like interact with them because basically there comes a point where you can just pay everyone to do everything else in exist in your existence. You can pay them to help train you. You can uh, pay them to, you know, massage you and take do body maintenance for you. You can pay them to cook for you. You can actually literally delete everything besides your family and your your work out of your life entirely. You can you can just delegate absolutely everything and I think it's very difficult for pro players to have enough money to do that at this point in time, which means that as their desires change in relation to work-life balance, the only way to achieve that is through spending less time with the game. Whereas that's not a choice that most multimillionaire professional athletes have to make. Right? They can have both. And I think that's one of the big issues. On the last episode of SI, you said that a pro player's career was a great tragedy. I can't remember the name of the players. Which player's career would you say is the greatest comedy? Could be from any esport. <laughs> Who has the funniest career? I mean, in all senses, local doko got to be content. <laughs> I, I genuinely never stop laughing. Almost everything he's doing his whole career was funny, isn't it? Think about how many classic moments. So yeah. many. So many. It's also one thing I love about him is he's the ultimate example of how people's playing style fits their character because he did yes. do those local leaps where he would just inad inadvisably jump in as the wrong role. You don't want to do that. Fucking ADC. And then just die like in it for no reason in the game, even he was really good. So in some ways that's a metaphor for his whole life. You know, that's, that's a good one. I like that one. Is there another one we could do though? Let me think who else it could be. Who else is like, who else has had a very funny career though? I mean, Hooney's had a pretty really. fucking funny career. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I 
I mean, in, look, inadvertently, Reginald's being one of the greatest <laughs> comedians I've ever encountered. None of it was intentional, was it? Like that story I got as Ven to tell, where he was complaining that you don't dodge the targetable like, fucking spell on Kaiser. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, that's the most perfect Reggie story of all time, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I love it. I fucking love it. Uh, what is it. the etiquette when a co-caster makes the wrong call? It feels like a lot of the time the error goes unmentioned. Should they be interrupted for the correct information, only clarified in downtime, or if it's a minor issue, just not interrupt the flow? It really just depends on what the issue is. Um, you know, if, if they call out the wrong name, player name or ability or something like that, you can just gently correct it and it doesn't fucking matter. If they make a really, like, bozo call, uh, you try and, like, shift it it depends on which role you're doing too it's different for play-by-play -play and it's for color casters you try and shift the attention to something else immediately right and you just don't not... have to be rude basically right yeah, you yeah, can yeah. do it in it's like really, a small way it's really bad to be an asshole about it right um, i mean you can even literally just do it like oh i can see how you thought that flowers but actually like look they're taking the dragon now believe it and if you do it like that no one ever thinks yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, you're not you're not being uh, BM yeah or like or you just say you you add to the call so you're like yeah, but when you think about this other thing also, maybe it was this thing instead, I think is a better way to do it. Because oftentimes, you know, most of the time you're not dealing with with dumbass colleagues uh, at the professional level. And so if you inevitably make mistakes, everybody will make a bad call at some point in time over hundreds of hours of live broadcasts. And so sometimes you just forget to take things under consideration or you didn't see something right. You might have missed something crucial. So being reminded of it, most people are just pretty cool and be like, oh, yeah, you know, you are right. It's like I didn't see that before. And then it's fine. Like most people don't fight you on the cast. That's like really weird. Is it the best decision for Faker's career to roll swap into jungle or support? Personally, I think Faker roll swapping into jungle and bringing in Chovy would be the best way to for him to build his legacy. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think that. I do think that's a fight narrative. Like the narrative is sick. The idea, <laughs> the, like Chovy the narrative is fun. It's <laughs> just the stud player mid lane, and then Faker's his brains, and then they, it's like they just stack a bunch more titles here. That'd be pretty cool. I, I don't mean, know if it's actually the move I'd do though. <laughs> Uh, or faker as support, right? Um, I I don't know. I don't know. I think jungle is tough because jungle you have to play so many different champions because Riot changes the jungle every fucking year and the jungle meta changes. Whereas the thing about mid lane is even though it's the most pivotal role, he can always fall back on the control mages. You know what I mean? It's like it feels like those are always viable to a certain degree. Azir and Orianna are two of his top three most played champions. They all feel are. Maybe Oriana's four now. I don't remember. Whatever. Two of his top, two of his five most played champions. Azir is number one by a lot. I think Oriana is three or four. Um, so it feels like you can always, you can always fall back on some things in the mid lane, whereas jungle gets super weird. And you could say, well, you can always fall back on Lee Sin, but that's a highly mechanical champion. And maybe this isn't the time in Faker's career to do that, right? I don't know. I don't know if there's a, there's the a good answer is for Faker. This is also why, though, you can't just act like those roles don't have hands as well. Because the main issue is, if the argument is Faker just can't be the best mid laner, so maybe he should swap to make the team better. I don't hate it, but like, for example, in some ways, if we're going to do that, shouldn't he have done that years ago? Like, 
essentially the joke we have is he essentially always played jungle role. So maybe if like five <laughs> years ago he swapped to jungle, maybe he'd have enough time, you know, he could get a few years on his belt. Because the other downside I see here as well, Monty, is this. If he has one bad year at this role swap, then you probably just retire. You know what I mean? I don't think you're going to put That's in like four to years. To be, it just seems so implausible, you know, you'll keep grinding. So essentially it has to work right out the gate. So I, I agree with you. Even though I actually feel like in his history, he's very suited to probably play the jungle role. He seems to have a fantastic knowledge of what it should do. I actually think at this point in his career, it's probably safer to play a support, you know? Yeah. So I don't know what you're doing there, team, because they've got carrier. So you're in a tough spot there too, aren't you? So it's a tough one. If you were in charge of Riot Games esports ecosystems, what steps would you take in the first one to five years and how would it impact players, fans in the industry? Would you unify the leagues? Yes, I would. Or basically, have a- you seen the beginning of the French Revolution? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. Leave it at that. But anyway, I'm not talking Judas Priest when I say some heads are going to roll. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to go, don't worry. And I'd be Robespierre. But then obviously, unlike the real Robespierre, I'd duck out just before the end. You know, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, that would make a good Photoshop, you as Robespierre. Um, would you make more specific changes such as relocating LCS? Yeah, I get LCS the fuck out of LA. It's stupid that it's there. It should be in Chicago or Dallas or somewhere like that that's a lot cheaper. Oh, by the way, obviously it's not a superhero, so forget that. But technically they were once in a comic book. It was actually like Grant Morrison's Invisible. So I'm going to use that. The characters me and Monty would be would be Lord Byron and Shelley. There you go. That's (laughs) that's who we are spiritually. There you go. Exactly. There you go. That's, if you know um, the reference, it's a deep cut. So, okay, what else would you change? Uh, I mean, I would make my Super League. I think that the only way to awesome. uh, actually generate revenue would be to unify the leagues at, and you handpick the best teams from the last 10 years of league esports. Imagine doing it like UFC and you're doing a road show. So you have one finals yep. is in Dubai and then you have a finals yep. in it. It could be amazing, couldn't it? It could be the shit. You could get all the viewership in the world. You get you get all the viewership. You run three or four tournaments a year with the top 20 teams. You get you get the teams with the biggest fan bases that are the most committed. And then I think you can actually sell pay-per-view. I think you can actually sell it at that point in time and people would buy it. Uh, And I think you solve the monetization issues that way. I think you could bring in some really, really big sponsors as a result. And you know what? You know, purely from a cutthroat financial perspective, I think our friends over in Riyadh would be willing to pay for one of those tournaments quite a bit of money. And uh, maybe that would be actually quite good for the teams in the scene in certain ways. If we're talking about finances uh, being a a potential issue during the old esports winter. So. Uh, Would you do anything in the first one to five years? What would you do? I mean, I would change almost everything is the problem, isn't it? Because I essentially, if people don't know, I've, I, I actually think Riot for real took one of the greatest potentially sports ever and yes. did almost everything wrong systematically, yep. just doing it slightly less wrong over a 10-year span to the extent that like they're almost getting good. <laughs> like I actually thought MSI was a banger, but they still haven't done it for good, once. Yeah. So they're like this close to actually being good now. But they still so don't have a complete keep, international... Keep I mean, they still don't have a complete international circuit. We are robbed year after year of watching actually the top 16 teams in the world compete with each other uh, because of their bullshit regional 
you know, nonsense. And also what they're doing is they're actually holding down Western players because the, the, the very act of creating this circuit has prevented Western players from getting the very best practice that they could. And if we had a traveling circuit where all team facilities were located in China and Korea, so during the downtime, everybody just lived in those two countries, um, you would actually see parity start to exist between Western players sure. and, and Asian players. And how do I know this, guys? Because we saw it in Overwatch. We saw it. We saw it once all the pro players were in one location in Los Angeles, they all got all the Western teams started getting better. All the Western players started getting better. Mixed Korean Western rosters started winning titles. And we were talking about Western players as some of the best in the world. The problem is, is that they're isolated in their own regions with worse practice environments, worse solo queue, worse scrims, worse work ethic, because they're allowed to get away with it. If you send all of those Western players for Korea, and they're on the Korean scrim schedule in Korean solo queue playing against Korean teams, they will be better. They have the talent. They obviously, like, Caps could be among the best in the world. He was among the best in the world when he was in Europe. Imagine what he could do if living in Korea for five years. Holy shit, you know? Sure. So that's the only way to bridge the gap. So the, the funny thing is that, well, originally... We might have said that the creation of these local league leagues helped bolster more professional players. Local leagues, regional leagues, are now hindering Europe and North America very significantly when it comes to their ability to succeed internationally. Hugely hindering them. It's why the same thing. Western players would, in StarCraft came to Seoul to compete, and that's how they got good enough to eventually win MLGs. If they weren't in Seoul, they would have just gotten their booties blasted by Koreans until the end of time. Um, of Okay, this is the last question. Of all the missed Grand Slams in League, which one hurt the most? To me, it's got to be G2. Come on. Because like, yeah. it was one <laughs> series. They were, essentially, if they wake <laughs> up on a different day, they did it. They won the Grand Slam. And also, the coolest thing was... They beat all the Koreans. The whole thing was Koreans really hard. Remember, that was fucking 2019. Koreans had just dominated League of Legends, the whole history of the game. Like, And also, the idea is, you could imagine maybe someone in the past, like, I could see I did it once. You could beat one Korean team. The idea, you're just going to beat them, but I'll beat T1 here, then I'll beat Dom 1 here, then I'll beat T1. Like, give me a break. No one could do that. that. I think that would have been one of the best storylines ever yeah. in the esports history. It, it, I mean, it pales in comparison to what, what else we could have had. Like, you know, what, RNG or... T1. RNG would have been cool, at least. It would have been China on top yeah, for the T1, first time. T1, it, T1 had anyway. enough success elsewhere that it doesn't feel like that unique. Obviously, just for pure uh, also, excitement, guys, it's G2. I'm just going to say this. Since part of why T1 didn't do it is they didn't win that MSI, you mean you agree with me that literally Koma ruined esports history? Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I think, they, <laughs> I think the cards are all on the table now, aren't they? Because that's the maddest part. He essentially entered a fucking grandstand by putting Easy Hoon in. What are you doing that for? You wanted your whole legacy to rest on Easy Hoon, mate. You're having a laugh. He did actually. And then also, it's funny to think about. <laughs> most overrated one I saw is when they were trying to be like, and obviously, um, I think it was if obviously uh, T1 in 2016 didn't win the summer one, right? It's like that was the year where they weren't supposed to win any of them, though. That was like the one where they just like, it was supposed to be Rocks Tigers won that fucking Grand Slam, if anything. That was the maddest part of it. So that one doesn't even count. There, there has to be ones like this where you are the best team and you're supposed <laughs> to win it all. That's why if GDG do it, it'll be cool. Yeah, it would be very cool. Because they were number one at all times, you know. 
Yeah, I think that one's an easy answer, though. I think there's no other real answer but G2. All right, guys. I mean, also, it would have just been the craziest fucking like narrative for Westerners ever. Because like, we'll never have another team do that. Like, it's not even on the table, really, is it? Come on. All right, guys. Uh, that's going to do it for Summoning Inside for next week. We'll be back for another episode to discuss the semifinals next week. Maybe we'll have a guest next week. Who knows? Who can say? <laughs> Stay tuned to Twitter and you can find out. See you then.